Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is 16 years after the day that changed America, changed the world, 16 years later, September 11th, 2017. Our hearts, our prayers go out to the victims of 9-11, the attacks in D.C., in in New York, um, and in Shanksville. The first responders who, who, who were murdered, the people who were murdered on that day, um, we, 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 we pray, we pray for them. You know, how things have changed since September 11th, 2001. How things have changed. And not for the better either. And of course, 2001, September 11th was a hinge, one of those hinge moments in history, and I'm amazed when I think back how many people of adult age right now, young adults, don't recall that day or or were young when that happened. But really, that that was that was a hinge moment in history, a pivot point in history, that in large part puts us where we're at today. You're listening to the Hagman Report, Doug and Joe Hagman, America's premier father-son investigative reporting team, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. I want to thank Global Star for having us, running our program, as well as Blog Talk Radio, that's BTR, and, of course, YouTube Live. And uh, we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. We're going to be connecting some dots. The first segment, the first, uh, actually the first hour of our program, a gentleman, and we want to thank, uh, Jennifer Ramsey for putting this, helping us put this together. Field McConnell. Field McConnell, Able Danger. He's the founder and editor in chief of Able Danger and of the YouTube channel of the same name. Hour number two, we're going to have, uh, RCMP Sergeant Tom Juby. Uh, now there's some interesting correlation between the, the reason we, we asked him to appear tonight because he, he, he was, the key investigator in Swiss Air 111, which predated, of, of course, the events of 9-11, but there's interesting correlation between that incident and 9-11. And then um, that that's going to be going into Hour 3 as well, three segments with uh, Sergeant Tom Juby, which is going to be a must. You've got you've to you've listen to this and watch this program in its entirety to understand the 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 web the web of deceit the web of lies the web of the shadow government and in this case its subset the deep state the military industrial congressional complex this how it all works together and then to close out the final segment Josh Kaplan and if you uh, in the event that uh, you haven't gone to the Gateway Pundit yet today do so Josh Kaplan's got the Above the fold, a story there at Gateway Pundit, thegatewaypundit.com. So that's the program layout for tonight. Again, our prayers, our thoughts, 
to the families of the victims of 9-11-2001, but understand it to be the hinge moment in the history, the pivot, pivot day, uh, the pivot event that has put us on the track where we are today in many respects. Now, without getting into the, obviously, we're not going to get into the uh, the various theories. Uh, suffice it to say, I was talking with a couple of people. Joe, um, you'd appreciate this. I was talking with, well, I'll, I'll just say this. I was talking with someone today, and uh, um, I got an eye roll uh, when I mentioned 9-11. And, uh, you know, did it happen the way the they said it happened? And of course, I got an eye roll, and and I thought, wow, you know, the level, the the number of people who really don't understand the deception and the level of deception, I think is just incredible, even today, despite the fact, despite the fact that, uh, well, it's 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 clear, I believe, that it didn't happen, obviously, the way they said it happened, and you'd have to be, you'd have to be intellectually dishonest to believe otherwise. Joe, come on board here. Let's uh, let's start off the week and uh, let's get this thing rolling. Yeah, again, it is the 16 year uh, to the day anniversary of 9/11. It's um, pretty much a routine and a, and a ritual now, if you will, to turn on the news in the morning on 9/11 and see the family members reading the names <clears throat> of those who were lost in the attacks. And that's always um, that's always tough to watch. But yeah, I mean, people will never forget that day, and you can never forget to revisit what happened on that day it's very important to what we see happening today in present day all across the world uh, from the Arab Spring to I mean just all the things that have happened because of 9-11 for whatever reason 9-11 happened it had a huge impact on on not only the U.S. but the world no no, it it did and um, it it did and I, I do hope one day I really hope one day all of this will come out before before I die, before this, before too many more months, years pass, everything will come out, or at least, you know, it's interesting because Judicial Watch had, um, uh, well, among, there was a, there was an article recently where the, um, Saudi training, operational training, the dry run, I don't know if you saw that, Saudi Arabia providing operational uh, assets and money for a dry run for 9-11. Whether or not you believe that uh, there was total Islamic, I mean, if you want to lay the blame totally on, on uh, Islamic terrorists, that's one thing. But I, I can tell you this, I, I can guarantee it, there was Islamic complicity here and Islamic uh, perpetrators as well as members of the deep state and shadow government combined. But, the, you know, to, to, to say that this is a conspiracy and there was no Islamic involvement I think would be equally disingenuous to the uh, to, to the real story. But nonetheless, our first guest is Field McConnell, and I, I can't wait to, to speak with him. I believe he might be, and I could be wrong about this. Okay, he might be checking in from London, UK, where it's late or early, depending on your point of view. Uh, He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Able Danger and the YouTube channel of the same name. It was on December 10th, 2006, when Field McConnell reported the illegal modification on Boeing aircraft to the FAA. 
Northwest Airlines, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, NORAD, the uh, USNA superintendent. Shortly thereafter, Northwest Airlines, compelled by the United States Department of Justice, silenced Field McConnell due to his inadvertent reopening of a safety issue closed in June of that year. Um, there's a settlement of $615 million, uh, $615 million paid by Boeing to the U.S. Department of Justice. Now, Field McConnell filed a civil case, uh, a civil case at the district court, District of North Dakota on the 27th of February in 2007. The case is titled, and you can look this up, Field McConnell v. Alpa, A-L-P-A. And Boeing. Boeing admitted on March 3rd, 2007, the existence of the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot to date, 9 February 2012. As of that point, Airline Pilots Association has suppressed this information. Phil McConnell retired on March 13, 2007, to preserve his expert witness value in U.S. district courts and to say value. Uh, this man has value, believe me. Uh, expert witness value, indeed. Um, civil case, uh, Hawks Cafe v. Global Guardians was filed on May, on May Day, actually, May 1st, 2007 in District Court, District of North North Dakota. So, this man knows that of which he speaks, and we want to give him a warm welcome and embrace to the Hagman Report. Mr. McConnell, thank you so much for joining us on this momentous day. Yes, it is a momentous day, and it's a sad day, and what makes it even more sad is that our federal elected officials are serving powers other than the constituents, and they've sat on this uh, deception for 16 years. But uh, early on in your very kind introduction, uh, you said, will it come out, meaning the truth? And yes, it will. You made an allusion to illegal modifications. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that what makes these modifications illegal is only that the airline pilots, mechanics, and dispatchers were never aware of the equipment that was in their aircraft. So I hope my volume's okay. And uh, you certainly sound good at uh, London, where it's uh, early in the morning. Uh, and about 10 minutes ago, it was late at night. But it's just past midnight. So what can I do to make your show uh, more comfortable for you, Paul? <laughs> well, well, first of all, I, I want to thank you for your gracious gift of time, because I know it's early or late. And I know that this, uh, you know, is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, an inconvenience for you, but uh, a delight for our audience. Well, let's start at the beginning. Um, the the um, well, let's talk about nine eleven and, and how your work has overlapped into the events of of nine eleven, or vice versa, uh, the relationship there, or how what you've what you've discovered uh, in the crux of your or the uh, uh, the main part of your uh, of your lawsuits, uh, it could in fact be part of something much larger. And, and uh, help me understand, because I was I was looking into into what you were referencing here. This uninterrupted flight control autopilot, yeah. Or I'm sorry, 
Yeah. Same difference. Same difference. What exactly help us understand and our audience understand what that is and why it's so significant in your work in that respect? Okay. Well, that'll be the easiest question you asked me all night. The uh, Boeing uninterruptible autopilot, and I would like your listeners to just make a note to go to YouTube after the show and just put in Boeing uninterruptible autopilot. It's a five minute and 40 second uh, whistleblowing report on what this autopilot is, but it started out as a very good benign safety feature uh, because back in the 60s, 70s, uh, when armed hijackers with weapons were getting into cockpits and demanding that pilots fly somewhere they didn't want to go, uh, all the while the military industrial complex, specifically Honeywell, was working, and uh, there's going to be people rolling their eyeballs during your show tonight, and those people tend to be trolls, but there's people that still don't want to believe that the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot exists. I can provide you later after the show or anybody that wants it with uh, patent history of Honeywell going back to 1953 to as late as 2013. We do have all the patents, and uh, the device that's now called the Boeing Uninterruptible Autopilot uh, was meant to be a safety feature. So the physical human hijackers tried to get in the cockpit that there would be uh, remote control capability of the airliner. Go ahead. Did you want to say something? No, I, I'm sorry. I hit I hit the cough button too late. Sorry about that. Oh, oh no, I'm sorry. Well, no, never feel – I mean, always feel comfortable – it's your show. Interrupt me anytime. But uh, the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot is a safety feature. But uh, after uh, after 9/11, when the uninterruptible autopilot was used as a lethal weapon against we the people, not only we the people of the United States, but the global commoners, uh, this is a very good system, and it's only illegal because to this date. The airline pilots in the United States of America and most of the world have not been told about the existence of this pilot, uh, this autopilot, and that renders the uh, installation illegal because if you are the captain of an airliner registered in the United States of America, Federal Aviation Regulation 121.533 states that if you have any concerns with the uh, airworthiness of the aircraft that you not do not put that aircraft into motion and what the, or the word may be operation but what that means is uh, it's not just you can't fly it if you have any concerns with the safety of the aircraft that you're in command of you cannot even call for the before start checklist and that's the position I found myself in when in late 2006 Northwest Airlines wanted me to fly Boeing 747-400s at the same time that uh, my academic part partner, David Hawkins, a brilliant scholar from England who now lives in Canada, uh, he was discovering the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot. So between his brilliance and my hands-on being an airline pilot and a former military air defense pilot, I knew that this was illegal and I raised the alarm, as you alluded to earlier, I raised it with three federal lawsuits. Uh, Boeing answered my question very responsibly. Within four days of my filing the first lawsuit, Boeing admitted the existence of the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot. 
But yet here we are in 2017, and it's still illegal because the airlines do not tell the pilots, the dispatchers, or the maintenance personnel that this Boeing uninterruptible autopilot is installed in the aircraft. And it's it's really, really deceptive because you hear me say over and over, Boeing uninterruptible autopilot, but it's a component that comes in a box from General Electric. And when I was called to Malaysia to explain this face-to-face with the Malaysian government and airline, uh, I was told that they intended to file a trillion-dollar lawsuit against Boeing and I said, well, I got bad news for you. I'll be on the opposite side of the courtroom because even though it's the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot, it's a GE part. And I know for certain that at the highest level of the maintenance installers there at Boeing, they didn't know what they were putting in. They were told to put this general electric part in a specific location, and they did their job. And so they've been taken advantage of. And uh, it's interesting to note that the soon-to-be outgoing CEO of General Electric, whose name is Jeffrey Imelt, he happens to have had the highest corporate paid life insurance uh, in the corporate world of the United States of America for a long, long time. And it just may be because all of these illegal airliners flying around killing people over the last uh, 16 years have been propelled or controlled by a GE part. That's the short answer. Okay, and, and just just so I'm sure, uh, I understand you. This is this is a component in the aircraft that uh, the uh, flight crew, the pilot, they have no idea, or had no idea that it's it, it, it's on their aircraft, and the the, the use of this, or, or ostensible uh, use of this, would be. Uh, for someone on the ground to be able to take, essentially take control of the aircraft. Is that right? Yes, and to fly it safely to uh, what initially were 108 airports around the world that were capable of receiving these remotely guided airliners. Uh, now it's pretty much, it's pretty much uh, any airport that's served by airliners of that type. For instance, if a 787 goes to that airport, it could be safely remotely landed there. And the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot is not to be a scary thing. It's to be a life-saving feature. But the problem is um, they've used it for a criminal uh, intent. Right. Uh, it's called murder for, hire, murder for hire, and it's premeditated. And uh, you asked me how I was related to 9-11. Well, I've got three relationships, and I'll make this very brief. My sister and Hillary Clinton uh, participated in uh, the academic development of the droning of airliners. I'll leave it at that because that's sufficient detail, and you got the names. My sister's name, by the way, is Christine Marcy, and uh, Hillary Clinton, most of your listeners know. My second relationship was American 77, which allegedly, according to the mainstream media, hit the Pentagon, which it did not. The captain of that flight was a college classmate of mine from Annapolis, whose name is Captain Chick Burlingame. He had a dual career just like I did. He flew for the Navy in the reserves while he flew for American. And on the morning of 9-11, he was murdered uh, with a malice of forethought by the perpetrators who, as you correctly identified, 
had some Muslim influence and also some deep state uh, United States government influence. So I've got my sister, my college classmate, and on the morning of 9-11 at 0932, uh, three F-16s took off from Langley Air Force Base to respond to what was flying down the Potomac and threatening the Pentagon. And those three F-16s were uh, from my Air National Guard unit, Fargo, North Dakota. And just to demonstrate to you and your listeners my ability to recall trivial details, the call sign of those three uh, F-16s was QUIT, Q-U-I-T, QUIT 252627, flown by Brad Derrick, Dean Ekman, and Craig Borgstrom. And those three F-16s were capable of intercepting the target before it hit the Pentagon, but they were taken off course by members of the United States Senior Executive Service, a bureaucracy which 99.5% of your listeners have never heard of until this radio show. So, so thanks for getting me on here so I can point out that there's a bureaucracy none of us know about, the United States Senior Executive Service, and on 9-11 they played a big part. Uh, all right. Wow. The United States Senior Executive Service, is that what you said? Senior. Yes. My sister created that. Uh, back when Jimmy Carter was president in 1978, he asked my sister, Christine Marcy, who is a career bureaucrat, uh, to come up with the Senior Executive Service. They came into existence in 1979. And uh, if you want to get a layman's briefing on what they're all about, it's treason. They are... They're in position to destroy the United States of America, and they're inside Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm not somebody that read this in a men's room. It's my own sister that created it, and my own sister, Christine Marcy, does not get a free pass from me because my parents are in Arlington National Cemetery, both my mom and my dad, and I spent 26 years in the military, and she's she is actively engaged and has been since 1969 in attempting to destroy the United States of America, and she's just going to have to do that over my dead body, and I'm not dead yet. Man, my head is spinning. I I have to tell you, um, all I want to do is just say, keep talking. (laughs) I know, and this is funny. This is really funny because I told my wife, who's a British lady, uh, she's four feet from me right now, I said, they want me to talk about these eight things in one hour. I said I could talk 12 hours on any one of these eight, but let's make it quick for the first visit. And uh, sure. any questions you have, go ahead. But, well, I got a question, Mr. McConnell, just real quick, uh, just to clarify. So what you're saying is these parts, GE parts, delivered to all these different areas to be placed in, inside of Boeing uh, planes. And from what I'm understanding, these are parts, as you said, for malicious intent. Well, no, 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 no. I, I don't think that's what he said. I think, I think there, there was not the correct. Or they were used maliciously. They were used maliciously, but, but there is some ostensibly the initial intent was for good purposes. However, they were the intent was hijacked, like everything else, um, by deep state operatives and others, right? Uh, that's exactly right. Okay. All right. All right. And, and the name says it all. The the Boeing Honeywell uninterruptible autopilot. I'm assuming that once this is activated, even the pilots in the plane can't can't turn it off until it runs its course is that semi-accurate yeah no nobody in the aircraft it's uninterruptible and that's exactly what it means once it's triggered uh several things happen the communication radios go off the a cars goes off the transponder goes off the aircraft is going to be quiet and uh, silent 
and it'll be landed safely anywhere the people controlling it uh, direct it to go. And the good people that control it would be the FAA or the airlines. Let's pick Delta Airlines because that's where my retirement check comes from. But if Delta has a flight that is being interrupted by humans, they can land it anywhere they want. And, uh, you know, maybe not Atlanta because they're having a hurricane today, but they could take it up to Fargo or take it to New York City, fly it over to Dallas, and it can be landed safely. But see, the thing that makes it illegal is that the airlines themselves are not sharing this information with the people who critically need it. And that would be the pilots in command, uh, because if you're the pilot in command legally, and yet you're not in command physically, you got a big problem. Uh, the mechanics, they don't know about it. And the dispatchers, and dispatchers, by the way, share responsibility for any flight in the United States of America, 50-50 with the captain. And I'm here to tell you that there's occasions where the captain and the dispatcher don't see eye to eye, but only one of those two has their gluteus maximus in the aircraft, and it's not the dispatcher. So I don't want to scare anyone, because I think by your having the nerve to broadcast this, uh, it's just a matter of time. Boeing has already announced that they have this. They announced it on the 3rd of March of 2007, and in that announcement, they said within two years, every airliner in the world will have this feature. That would be 2009. So for the last eight years, every fly-by-wire, glass cockpit airliner in the world has had this uninterruptible autopilot, not only the Boeings, but the Sukhois, which is Russian, uh, the Bombardier, that's uh, Canadian, the Embryars, that's Brazilian, and uh, the original uh, installer, Airbus. Airbus started installing these in 1989, Boeing in 1995, but any student of second grade math knows that both 1989 and 1995 were prior to 9-11, so this is the feature which allowed 9-11 to almost top off, P-O-P-O-F-F, top off the government. And the only reason why we didn't go down as a nation on 9-11 is because United 93 was 41 minutes late when Captain Jason Dahl got his aircraft up in the air. And by this time, the response to New York and the Pentagon had been such that they were too late to achieve their purpose, which was striking the U.S. Capitol where the elected government, the Congress and the Senate, were both uh, in the Capitol Rotunda that morning. And if the fourth aircraft, and it would, have not, if not, it would not have been United 93, but it would have been a drone replacement for United 93. But because they were 41 minutes late, they had to send a drone elsewhere, and they had to destroy United 93 over Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Um our guest is Field McConnell, his website, abledanger.org. I'm, I'm correct in that, uh, am I not? abledanger.org. Yes, you are. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure this information is critical here on the 16th. Hate to use the word anniversary, the 16th year, 16 years after 9-11 of 2001. Uh, I have a lot of respect for, uh, Mr. McConnell. By the way, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I love his website, a lot of information there, and he is kind enough to check in with us from London, UK, where it's just after midnight there with his wife at his side, who uh, is obviously a trooper as well. 
uh, I guess, Mr. McConnell, you and we all married up in our lives. So, you know, uh, uh, but nonetheless, uh, getting back to the topic. And by the way, folks, we are going to forego the, the network break to give Mr. McConnell the opportunity, um, the full segment here because this is fascinating. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm tossing everything that, that we have out, uh, that, that I have, um, the talking points and, and such out. I'm going to toss those away. And I'm just going to ask you this. What in the world happened then, uh, on, on 9-11? What, what happened 16 years ago this morning, uh, Mr. McConnell, uh, based on your research, your analysis, and your knowledge of the SES and, uh, the, uh, the hardware as well as the, you know, people and such? What, what happened? And, uh, be as free as you want with, uh, you know, don't hold anything back. Okay, well, I appreciate that because there is something that's typically held back, and I'm not going to mention it because I don't think it really matters. But uh, I also, since you said I can go ahead and be free and not hold anything back, first and foremost, i got to tell you the only reason I'm doing this is because on December 4th, a Monday of 2006, at 3.35 p.m., I said a prayer to God, and I said, God, you know, you must have something more important for me to do than fly 403 passengers to Honolulu so they can lay on the beach. And I said, I will never, ever ask you this again, but if you have something more important for me to do uh, for your purpose in my life, but for your kingdom, please let me know and I'll do it no matter what it may cost me. Two hours and 25 minutes later, uh, I was told to expose evil, and that's Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So that's all I do, and if I fall short of what God asked me, I'm terribly sorry, but let's go right into 9-11. What it was about, it was a a top-off exercise that went rogue. What does top-off mean? T-O-P-O-F-F. Cut the head off the United States elected government and have that succeeded on 9-11, and on I'm gonna, you're gonna hear my sister's name often because she's been so well buried and protected. But she was a key player on 9-11. Her name's Christine Marcy. To this day, she's protected by the U.S. deep state government. I have, I have put her name out there very clearly. The President Trump, the three Marine generals, those being General Dunford, the uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mattis, Secretary of Defense, and General John Kelly, who is the uh, Chief of Staff for Trump. Um, they have not yet gone after my sister, but I have no doubt that they're going to have to do that at some point, or we're going to lose our country. But back to 9-11, the purpose uh, was there was at least four nations or four entities working together to destroy the United States of America with the full support of some names you will recognize, like David Rockefeller, who uh, on page 161 of his own book about 20 years ago, said, if the charge against me is that I'm trying to destroy the United States of America, uh, I'll stand by that charge, and it's, you know, I'm proud to do it. Well, he's dead, and a lot of these other people, and what they're involved in, it's not political conspiratorial things, it is evil. We are living the battle of Ephesians, good versus evil, and some of the evil parties do include the Saudi Arabian government. It's a little question in my mind who these Saudis really are. Are they Muslims? Are they Khazars? Are they a blend? But they do work with other uh, malevolent entities, one being 
that now if there's any Catholics out there, don't be offended till I'm done. But the Jesuit branch of the Vatican, that's not a spiritual branch. That's a military intelligence branch. And the Jesuits were involved in 9-11. I hope that you two gentlemen in Pennsylvania are familiar with the term crown agents. You may not be, but uh, going back a couple hundred years, it, oh, you are, good. Well, because so many yep, people- yep, and I just want to say Paul Williams discusses this in his book, uh, Among the Ruins, as others have before you, but please continue, sir. Yes. Uh, the, if, if you gave me the... If you had a gun to my head and said, Field, you got to tell us who did 9-11, and um, if you're accurate, you live, and if you're inaccurate, you die. And that's pretty much the same offer that God gave me. He's given me eternal life uh, if I serve him. And so I'm going to. I'm going to serve him until he calls me home. But the uh, Saudis did have a... The Saudis have a pretty tight relationship with some of our political families in the United States of America. The Vatican, uh, you know, everyone would like to think that the Vatican wants to save the world, and that's simply not the case. Uh, the Jesuits in the Vatican want to destroy the world, and uh, for those of you on the East Coast, uh, one of the most prestigious universities on the East Coast, Georgetown University, is the conduit through which the Vatican Jesuits pump their poison into the United States of America, and my sister is a graduate of Georgetown, as are Bill and Hillary Clinton and some other people that have tried to destroy the United States, but I said there were four. You've got the Saudis, the Jesuits, the Crown Agents, and the Senior Executive Service, and I strongly encourage your listeners just to uh, go to a search engine, put in United States Senior Executive Service, and uh, before I draw my final breath, I want that uh, bureaucracy to be removed or to be accurately named. They should be named Treason Incorporated, because they were created by my sister at the request of Jimmy Carter, who, like myself, went to Annapolis. And I'm here to tell you, sadly, that some of the most senior military officers that have come out of Annapolis and West Point and the Air Force Academy have been working with foreign entities to destroy the United States of America. And uh, I'm very good at naming names, and you did tell me to be free. Uh, but just to keep this on an emotional level that every American can resonate with, uh, there was an NFL player named Pat Tillman who was assassinated by his own country on August 6th. Uh, no, that's not right. August 4th of 2006. And that's not right either. Anyway, uh, it was in 2004 that Pat Tillman was assassinated. And the reason they assassinated him was because he was going to blow the whistle on why we've always been in Afghanistan. And that's simply, working with the U.K., the U.S. has been netting $800 billion a year in heroin. And they send the heroin to the eastern part of the U.S., the eastern part of Europe, uh, to Russia. They want to destroy the fabric of these nations. And, of course, if you destroy the fabric of the nation and you destroy the families which make up the fabric of the nation, you destroy nation states, and that is the bottom line. It's the new world order. Call it anything you want. But uh, Catholicism simply means united church, which means one world church. They want one world government. They're not even very candid about that. They admit that's what they wanted, and thank God, literally, 
and that's not a figure of speech with me. I'm thanking God literally that on the morning of 9-11, a 41-minute delay was imputed, that's a key verb, imputed, on the departure of Captain Jason Dahl's Flight 93, and that's the only reason why we're somewhat free today, and we're nowhere near as free as we should be. These post-9-11 handcuffs put on us by DHS and some other, uh, the Patriot Act, uh, they're, they're not anything like what they're supposed to be, just like the Boeing uninterruptible autopilot. It's supposed to be a safety feature, but it's now a feature where private corporations like Serco, the biggest company your listeners have never heard of, they can take down, uh, well, they've taken down 15 airplanes after 9-11, and uh, we probably will not get to too many of those tonight, but I'll rattle some flights off that are very, very significant. Um, prior to 9-11, they took down uh, TWA 800. On 9-11, they took down the four flights, those being American 11, American 77, United 93, and United 175. After 9-11, they took down a bunch of flights, but the most... Uh, memorable ones are Air France 447 on June 1st of 2009, MH370 on March 8th of 2014, uh, MH17 on the 17th of July of 2014, and by the way, I predicted that writing on March 29th, and does that mean I'm bragging? Yeah, I am. I'm bragging about God. Uh, God put me in a position where I felt it very reasonable that the uh, Malaysian airline was going to suffer another loss if they didn't publish the information that I hand-delivered to them on April 17, 18, 19, and 20 of 2014. I went down to Kuala Lumpur, and uh, I explained this to them, but now here I am on your show explaining it to you. 9-11 was an attempt to destroy the United States once and for all. We had become too powerful to serve the globalists, and even though our whole government structure to this day to this very day, uh, we are constrained by powerful families like the Rockefellers. And by the way, if your listeners don't know this, Bill Clinton's a Rockefeller. His uh, uh, absolutely. Um, yep. Well, thank I'm you. <laughs> I'm in good company here. I can I can see that. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, but the Rockefellers, uh, the Rothschilds in Europe, they think they own the world. I've got some really bad news for them. The creator of this world owns the world, and just this week, we're seeing these man-made hurricanes uh, get moved, adjusted, weakened, and um, I know that there's people out there praying that God will demonstrate his uh, infinite power in adjusting these storms so that they do, do not accomplish the purpose uh, for which the evil parties intended. And those evil parties, I mean, there's so few of them. Um, and you told me I could let her rip, so here goes. Uh, in my mind, I've written a bunch of books, and uh, I think one of the most evil entities in the United States of America is George H.W. Bush. And I'm ashamed to say that I voted for him and his son twice, but I voted for them of being ignorant and naive. But when, when uh, in 2006... When I discovered that I was going to be flying an airplane that I could not legally fly, and I'm not a mamby-pamby, and I've got proof that you can see some YouTubes of me doing some flying that you really would have to be a maniac or blessed by God to be able to do, and I'm not a maniac, but that's the card they try to play. When you're a whistleblowing pilot, 
and I'll rattle some names off. Uh, Wayne Witter from Delta, he was a whistleblower. Uh, Newton Dixon from Continental was a whistleblower. John Stepetic from uh, Continental was a whistleblower. Dan Hanley from United was a whistleblower. There is a Spirit Airline pilot named Michael Driscoll who was a whistleblower. And what they do to all these people and what they tried to do to me, if they can't get you to be quiet, they send you to a shrink. And it's always the same shrink who just retired, strangely enough, uh, August 1st. His name was Edward Elliott of Los Angeles. Um, he was aided by a couple of other alpha uh, doctors, MDs, not shrinks. But uh, those, I was going to say gentlemen, but they're not gentlemen, they're cowards. Uh, Warren Silverman was an MD who would try to stick his nose in the business of any whistleblowing pilot like myself. Uh, another one is Michael Berry. They both lost their positions. Uh, Edward Elliott, as I mentioned, retired. Uh, the safety of the traveling public of the world should not be in the hands of doctors that are bought and paid for who are complicit with political entities that cover up the doctor's crimes. I'll just rattle off a couple of people. Carl Levin of Michigan, uh, Chuck Schumer of New York, uh, John McCain of Arizona, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. I could go on and on, and I've written, or myself and David Hawkins have written 150,000 pages of cross-reference material. Uh, we put out 14 books. We've probably got 1,000 YouTubes. Uh, now, why is our message not getting out? Well, that's the easiest question I can ever pose for myself, because the mainstream media is owned by about four families, and uh, the United States government does not serve the United States. Uh, I want to inject some enthusiasm or some, I mean, this sounds pretty negative, um, but I'm very optimistic, and I think under Donald Trump, if we can keep him in office a bit longer, and i when I say that, I'm not talking about an impending death. I don't think he's in office to serve four or eight years. I think he's in office to help the three Marine generals and a bunch of White Hats in the military save our republic, restore our rule of law, uh, make the United States of America the beacon on the hill it was meant to be by God and has been denied to be that status by people such as the Rockefeller, the Rothschild, the Clintons, uh, the McCains, the Bushes, uh, the Obamas. And I've got some close relationships here to two of those families. Uh, John McCain went to the Naval Academy, and he's a third-generation trader. His grandfather was in the class of 1906 at Annapolis, and he uh, violated a direct order which caused the greatest naval defeat in the history of the United States Navy. It occurred at Savo Island, S-A-V-O Island, on the 9th of August of 1942. None of your listeners have heard that. I, I doubt if they have. Uh, his father, uh, John McCain, number two, uh, was a 1931 graduate of Annapolis. And uh, what he is famous for in terms of treason was he's the man that covered up LG, LBJ's treason in the USS Liberty. When the USS Liberty was attacked on the 8th of June of 1967, it was uh, attacked with the full blessings of LBJ, who wanted to get a second theater of war going because his buddies in the military-industrial complex in Texas, those being the men that ran Colt firearms, think M16, 
LTV aircraft think A-7 and Bell helicopters think Huey. Um, all of LBJ's drinking buddies in Texas uh, made a lot of money as long as we were at war. And one war wasn't enough for LBJ. He wanted one in Egypt. And so when Israel painted some of their Mirage fighters up in Egyptian paint and attacked the, uh, the USS Liberty on the 8th of June of 67, uh, I, I, I would give you a verbatim quote of what LBJ said, but it's offensive to Christians and other people. Uh, he said, I want that GB boat on the bottom of the sea. And, and to make sure that happened, he had his uh, Israeli counterparts attack the boat, not only with a machine gun and uh, torpedoes, uh, machine guns from aircraft, actually they're cannons from aircraft, machine gun boats, smaller boats. And uh, the USS Amberjack was a submarine that was at periscope depth within torpedo range of the Liberty. And it was ordered to sink the Liberty if the Israeli fighter jets, the Mirage, couldn't sink it. And there was a very heroic young man who risked his life uh, when they tried to put out a mayday call. A young enlisted sailor saw that the electrical power to the bridge was interrupted because a big electrical cable had been shot out of its socket. He ran out there while the aircraft were attacking with great effect, I might add, and he connected that uh, electric cable back up. They got one SOS call. The SOS call was answered by two aircraft carriers, one being the USS America and the other one, um, I cannot remember at this point, but it was CVA-60, I believe. It doesn't matter. There were two aircraft carriers. They heard that the Liberty uh, was under attack and they started launching fighters to engage, and LBJ heard about that, and he told those fighters through the chain of command, which means the chain of command was also complicit. Uh, LBJ told the fighters to return to their carriers uh, because he wanted that ship to go down, and you may not believe this, but you can check it immediately after this interview concludes. Uh, the only seagoing entity that responded to save the United States sailors on the Liberty, which they did, was a Russian vessel, and when the Russian vessel showed up on the horizon, suddenly the USS submarine named the Amberjack realized that this is not going to work. We cannot do what LBJ wants us to. And so the Liberty was spared, just like on the morning of 9-11, the United States of America was spared. But in both cases, we're not spared by a foreign, <coughs> excuse me, we're not spared from a foreign power we have been spared on those two occasions against treasonous persons in our own government. Uh, the two most treasonous people of which I'm aware would be George H.W. Bush. Let's make it three. LBJ, George H.W. Bush, and my sister, Christine Marcy. Oh, wow. Um, I don't think you're going to be getting any Christmas cards from your sister um, this year. She doesn't but... believe in Christmas. All right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I love this because um, Phil McConnell is our guest, and he just gave uh, a whole bunch of information, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you heard what he just said, has given us. Joe, you're, you're yeah. over here just... And and I was muted, uh, Mr. McConnell, but when you said she doesn't believe in Christmas, you just had me 
cracking up over here. Um, yeah, you, you really covered wow. a lot of ground. And, I mean, where do we go from here? We got about eight minutes left. Yeah. We'll bring it back to the airplanes and the uninterrupted autopilot. Or you and, wanna... Well, wait a second. Can, can we fly out there and visit with you and spend like a week with you? Uh, so, no, um, but uh, well, you could, or I could come to Erie. Uh, one thing that drives the United States fake government, the bad guys, one thing that drives them crazy is they can't get me in front of an FAA doctor because I, I'm totally blessed by God in this, but unlike the other airline pilots who've been sent to shrinks, uh, by the time I started blowing my whistle, I had the largest qualified retirement, that, and that doesn't mean a thing to me. Money means nothing. It can be taken from you, and when it's taken from you, as it's been taken from me, it'll, it will almost always be the U.S. government taking it from the U.S. citizens or the U.K. government taking it from the U.K. citizens. So money means nothing, but put put yourself in my position, gentlemen. Uh, if God asked you personally to expose evil, would you do it or would you not? That's exactly what we're doing. Uh, Mr. Oh, McConnell, we we're investigators it. by profession. Sure. I've been an investigator 33, 34, 34 years, Joe, for uh, a little over 10 and we have no business being in the radio broadcasting industry, yet here we are. So that answers, hopefully that answers your question. Yes, uh, and I anticipated that because I know why, I know what motivates you and I applaud you for that. Well, well thank you. Uh, yeah, in the rema- remaining, uh, eight minutes or so, we have left seven minutes left. Look, you've got the floor, my brother, and, uh, just, this just was, and, and, and I'm so thankful for you. Um, we hope that you'll agree to come back and spend additional time with us. We, we reach, uh, right now we've got, I can tell you right now, we've got 40, 46 countries listening and we've got, uh, tens of thousands of people listening as well. So, and many more, uh, soon via archive. So, uh, you're reaching out, you're reaching a lot of people. So take, take the time, whatever, wherever you want to go. It's yours. The floor is yours. Okay, and then let's agree that maybe 30 seconds or a minute before we run out, you'll just interrupt me. So here I go. I'm I'm going to touch some items I think we should talk about in the future. Uh, Aero Air 1285 was a flight that on the 12th of December of 1985 was bringing back uh, 256 soldiers uh, from an aborted nuclear mission uh, where they were supposed to have taken out an Iraq uh, nuclear plant with uh, man-born. In other words, they were carrying small-tack nukes, and they were going to go to this special forces in the Army, by the way. They were going to go attack a nuclear plant. They didn't get it done. Uh, they did suffer some casualties. They had to get the nuke devices and the soldiers out of the Mideast real quick. Uh, they got them on a DC-8 uh, uh, that was that flew to Germany first, refueled, may have changed crews. The DC-8 then went to Gander. Um, no, Gander is in, let me think about it. Yes, it was the Gander Airport. And uh, then when it was going to take off from Gander, uh, George H.W. Bush could not afford to have that aircraft come to the U.S. and have those Army people tell the U.S. citizens what they'd been doing over there. So he arranged for the CIA to... Uh, murder those 256 Army Special Forces people, and uh, it, it was very, 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 well, it's beyond criminal, it's evil what he did. 
There's a GHW Bush, American, excuse me, Aero Air 1285. I'll speed this up. Swiss Air Triple uh, One. 111. It went down in uh, September 2nd of 98 off the top of my head. It should never have gone down. Uh, there was uh, evidence that perhaps somebody had tampered with the in-flight entertainment system, which only distributed entertainment to the first class and business class passengers, not the coach people. A fire started in the cockpit. The captain, uh, and I used to be a captain, so I can go ahead and vilify my peers. But this guy was a weak captain. He's he's told uh, everything in his file says he was great. Well, when push came to shove, he wasn't great. The cockpit caught on fire, so he left the cockpit. I believe he died in first class. The co-pilot, had, who was flying the aircraft, had told the captain, I want to put this airplane on the ground. The captain says, no, we'll go off the end of the runway. The co-pilot was right. The captain was weak. And so about 229 people died because they had a weak captain. TWA 800, that had to go down in 1996 because it had some people uh, traveling over to Europe that they they could not, a certain political entities named Clinton might have had less of a future if some of these uh, international politicians had reached Europe. Uh, we talked about 9-11. Uh, the civil case that I filed that's the most significant because it's still capable of being refiled and I've offered it to Trump as a qui tam is civil case 1 colon 08 hyphen 1600 parentheses RMC that stands for Rosemary M. Collier the judge who dismissed it in a fraud upon the court did she know it was a fraud upon the court no she did not but she does know and uh, she might invite me back if not I'm coming anyway Air France 447 went down on June 1st of 2009. Uh, there's a lot of really unsavory things about that. I'll skip it for now. Uh, the two things that I've known for right behind 9-11 flying events would be Malaysia 370. The, the aircraft never went down. It was never missing for one nanosecond. It landed at Diego Garcia, a secret base in the South Indian Ocean operated by the UK and the US. It landed at 0651 hours on the morning of the 8th of March of 2014. Uh, and the people that landed it there, this is, and I've been saying this for three and a half years, and I haven't been rebutted yet, nor will I be. Uh, the U.S. saved that aircraft from a malevolent electronic hijacker. Unfortunately, the first electronic hijacker, which was a private corporation, uh, deployed the ATI, which is the air tranquilizing injector, which uh, can calm passengers, it can put them to sleep, or it can kill them. In this case, it killed them. So when the airplane landed at Diego Garcia, the uh, 239 people were dead. That created a problem for uh, the United States and the United Kingdom, because now they've got, they got the physical aircraft, the Boeing 777, and they got 239 uh, mortalities. Uh, so they had to get rid of the aircraft and they had to get rid of the bodies. And when I went to Kuala Lumpur to explain to their government and the airline how the aircraft arrived at Diego Garcia, I said, I've told you about the BUAP. I've told you about the air tranquilizing injector. If you do not tell the rest of the world via the media, since you will have the floor, not me, I'm a nobody, I'm a cheer aircraft. I said, you're going to lose another one, and you're going to lose it before 1900 hours, 
on the 17th of July of 2014. Uh, many of your listeners remember the aircraft that went down in Donetsk, uh, Ukraine. It went down around 1729 on the 17th of July. Now, am I prescient or do I have a crystal ball? No, but I have a God in heaven who uh, put me on this mission to expose evil. For, uh, so when I Phil McConnell, Phil McConnell, we're at the end. I mean, the, and thank you, thank you for everything you have given us. The information. Um, I, I'm so sorry that we have to end it now. Uh, but, I'm not. But but I'll tell you something. You've touched a lot of people, and uh, we're going to bring you back. Yeah, and you um, abledanger dot org, and also you're on Twitter, right? Yes, at f i e l b m c c. And okay. the YouTube channel is Abel Danger. All right. A-B-E-L Danger. All right. Phil McConnell, thank you so much for your gracious gift of time. Give your wife a hug for me. I know how it is late at night. And uh, thank you both. And, and please come back on and may God bless you and keep you safe. God has and he will continue to do so. Thank you for your time as well. All right. Folks, network break. Going to be back. Give us three minutes. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right. You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is the 16, well, 16 years post the attacks of 9-11-2001. And if you would have asked me on that day if I would be sitting here doing this, I would have said you're nuts. Of course, if you would ask me on that day if Barack Hussein Obama would have been occupying the White House for, you know, eight years, seven years after the event, the attacks, I would have said you're crazy too. And if I would have shared that opinion with a detective that I was uh, with uh, at Ground Zero, he would have punched me in the head, I'm sure. Um, looking at the uh, blood-soaked, not blood-stained, but blood-soaked sidewalks and the uh, deaths of the first responders, and we our, our prayers go out to all who have perished, their families, and who were murdered on that day. Now, our next guest, or this guest, or guest this hour, is someone that uh, I interviewed here earlier in this year, earlier this year, uh, Mr. Tom Juby. Now, if you if that name does not ring a bell, let me let me explain who this is. Uh, RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Sergeant Tom Juby. He's retired. He's a returning guest. He's the author of Twice as Far: The Swiss Air 111 Crash Investigation. His resume would go out the door printed. But he's got 32 years as a member of the RCMP, retiring as the sergeant in charge of the Forensic Identification Section, Halifax, Nova Scotia. 27 years as a qualified forensic crime scene examiner. A lifetime member of the Canadian Identification Society, crime scene examination training and experience for sudden death investigations, fire, arson, explosions, mass disasters, and major accidents, DNA evidence, location recording, and collection. And he got... Those stripes, in addition to school, the uh, the hard way in the field. And trust me when I tell you that uh, uh, it's not exactly like it is on television. And uh, uh, for for his work, it's just it's just an amazing. Uh, this man is an amazing man. His qualifications are are just unbelievable. And he's going to be talking about some similarities between Swiss Air 111 and 911. And I would like. To, to believe our audience is getting the best information from the best sources that that that, that are out there that that exist, and uh, so I want to thank in advance Tom Juby, who's going to be with us for three segments, and I really would like everyone to tell everyone about this particular, uh, or no three segments, right? Okay. Uh, sorry, about I'm that. sorry. I threw you off. There. That's okay. Um, but 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 uh, tell everyone about this broadcast. I think this is a, a critical broadcast. Uh, you see that? That's why. I, seriously, a you know, better investigator than I am a talk show host. But having said that, Joe, I know you wanted to to weigh in here. 
Well, yeah, um, just just on a few things, um, you know, on this day of, of 9-11, it's in- interesting to hear and, and go back and revisit to see what actually happened on, on my other laptop, which I have plugged into my TV at home. Uh, I forget where this was posted originally, but I downloaded a number of ABC, CBS, and NBC live broadcasts throughout that day, and they had them, I think, every 45 minutes. So you could download, um, you know, from 8.30 to 9.15, 9.15 to 10, and so on and so on. And I I was watching a few of those clips this morning and just looking at the, uh, you know, the devastation and how fast all that happened. A lot of people never really went, like you said today, you encountered somebody that you, you got met with an eye roll. Yes. So many people yes. just accepted what happened that day without ever doing uh, just the basic level of research into it. And some of those people who have never looked into it or done those research will be the, the fiercest opponents of any kind of um, ideas that it's something other than what they were told. For whatever reason that is, I don't know. You know, it, it, you're right. And by the way, my wife handed me a shoebox the other day. And the, the, this, uh, it was on Sunday, yesterday, yesterday uh, in advance of 9-11. And the shoebox contained, I think, four videotape cassettes. You know, the old, the big block videotape cassettes yeah. of the original uh, news footage from 9-11 and uh, I think that was on two networks that, that we reported on So, well when I said that to say this that don't forget that uh, people who looked into 9-11 who uh, however far ranging and, and out there of conspiracy theories they had uh, to as close to the narrative they were labeled as truthers mm-hmm. by the, the media by yep. the yep. Uh, politicians and it was a group if you were called a truther you basically basically believe 9/11 happened differently from what the government said, and that was a bad thing, and that still is a bad thing. You don't hear it too much today, anymore. But you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, and you have we've had Richard Gage on, architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth, 300 uh, architects and, and, and professional <clears throat> right. people. 300. We've looked at this from people inside of the government, outside of the government. Flight attendants have been on our show. Uh, I mean, we've done so much work on 9/11. And I would just ask people on this anniversary, if you have the time to, if you have not looked back into it, just take a look at it and and see if anything else sticks out to you. And before we bring our guests on, I do I would urge everyone to go to CoachDaveLive.com. I want to say hello to Coach Dave Dobmeyer. God bless you. Uh, Coach Dave is uh, instrumental. He's on these boots on the ground helping the victims of the floods, of the, the hurricanes, and, and doing so much for so many. And he's he's so much so deserving of our support. That's Coach Dave Live, Coach Dave Dobmeyer, Coach Dave Live dot com. Uh, so just so you know, and uh, he's a, he's a great guy. So all right. And thanks to uh, special thanks to Brent Bolesky yes, for setting this up with us is RCMP Sergeant Tom Juby. Uh, Mr. Juby, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Hi, how are you, Vince? Fantastic! It's great to see you. It's great to have you back. And uh, if memory serves me correctly, you're you're in Asia, right? Uh, is that correct? In Canada. Oh, you're. Okay, I'm sorry, Canada. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not quite that far. <laughs> okay. No, you know what? I, I sorry. It was a neuron uh, or a synapse uh, a short there up there. You know who you're thinking of? Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, having said all of that. Where do we start with respect to Swiss Era 111 and 911? You've got a resume that would, uh, that, that's really second to none. You're a true professional uh, and a crime solver. 
um, on this on this very solemn day. Yeah. And you 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 spearheaded the investigation into the Swiss Air 111 incident. And uh, how, how can we start? How can we begin to make sense of where we're at today with with your background and your knowledge? Well, um, first of all, I w- <laughs> there's a lot of people up here that would argue that I didn't spearhead. I was the forensic investigator for the RCMP on Swiss Air 111. Okay. Um, I wasn't the lead investigator, if that, that seems to be a term that gets thrown around. Um, lead investigator for the overall file was with the TSB followed by the name of Vic Gurdon. And the RCMP's lead investigator was an inspector, Latham. But my task on the file from start to finish, I I set up the morgue and worked in the morgue for the, the two months that it was open. And then I moved over to the aircraft side and saw the aircraft reconstruction, worked on it, and and saw about 15 MD-11 aircraft. I flew on them, and I... This is the Swiss Air aircraft. And I developed a a background of knowledge of the aircraft and of the people who worked on it to reconstruct it. And... um, I met a number of people and spoke with a number of people who knew a lot about airplanes and the materials that went into them. And basically, um, between speaking with, with very, and, and a number of those were U.S. people, uh, Americans, who knew the plane inside out. And it, of course, is made by Boeing or McDonnell Douglas, which is now part of Boeing. And it was an MD-11, right? MD-11 aircraft. Okay. On Swiss Air. All right. And by the way, it, this took place on uh, two September 1998. So That's, yes, pre-9/11. Okay, sir. Go ahead. And it crashed just off of Halifax, Nova Scotia, killing all 229 people on board. More than a hundred Americans on board. Um, Hundred passport carrying Americans and another, I think it was about twenty with dual passports and American and otherwise. And uh, um, the the overall investigation took about four years because it was in two hundred feet of water and it was a, a difficult uh, investigation. There was a major fire on board. And it disrupted the the mechanics of the aircraft. Uh, the, the MD-11 is a, actually a stretched DC-10, and it was one of the first fly-by-wire aircraft, uh, meaning that it was electronic. The cockpit was was uh, 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 electronic displays, and everything was. Uh, run electronically or most things were run electronically and the fire burnt off those wires to the point that 
most of the functions of the aircraft failed. And ultimately, it crashed about seven miles off the coast of Nova Scotia. And uh, it was a major task to retrieve it. And it had hit the water in such a fashion that it totally demolished the hull of the aircraft. It broke it into small pieces. Okay. And uh, from that, we were able to put things together. And the, the, the overall investigation was run as a safety investigation by the Transportation Safety Board of Canada, which is equivalent to your NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board. And the thing to keep in mind with the TSB is that they solely conduct a safety investigation in that they go in and look for the safety aspect of something, not the criminal aspect. And there's a major difference there. There's a tremendous difference because you can look at one thing and as a safety investigator, see that it's faulty and needs to be repaired, needs to be changed. These looks like we lost Mr. Juby. We will get him back. My uh, obviously, my question would be, you know, what is the standard operating procedure? Do you limit the scope of investigation right off the bat by making it a safety operation? Or do you let the investigators come back with their general findings and then determine? You know, from it's there? from interviewing uh, Mr. Juvie before. It's my understanding that you approach it as a crime scene, as you would a crime scene, and I think that that that's and it's interesting because um, a Swiss Air One Eleven and the events of Nine Eleven were not treated as, as uh, uh, criminal acts, and that's an important distinction. Uh, that's extremely important. You, you know, um, our guest had, had uh, really had conducted. Well, he was a liaison with the uh, uh, with the FBI and other U.S. authorities during this time, and there was a lot of information that. How can I put this? That was. I'm going to say rejected. And you heard uh, Mr. Juby as soon as he comes back here. Okay, I guess we do have him back so he can finish his thought. I don't know what happened there, Doug. It uh, just all of a sudden went off. Well, you know something, uh, sir? Uh, we get a lot of that. I don't know what happened, but uh, somebody just pulled the plug, you know. Uh, well, blame it on the hurricane, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, we'll continue with your thoughts because this is fascinating, and there are so many um, integral moving parts to these investigations. But, but as you said, though, this was not treated as a criminal investigation. This was this was a safety investigation, right? The the this is a safety investigation. It's it's like you got a traffic accident on the road, and the the highway people come along and look at the road and say the road is faulty or somebody says the car is faulty well what about the fact that the driver may have been drunk or he was speeding or what have you and and uh, there's the criminal aspect of it well the same with this with this this crash 
what caused the fire. And the Transportation Safety Board looked at it as a safety thing only and determined that not with any amount of proof, not with any proof that I was satisfied in, in, in when they told me uh, that it was a short-circuited wire. And I say that because uh, without any proof, because we had proof to the other side, to the criminal aspect. We had done highly specialized uh, scientific testing of the cross uh, uh, short-circuited wires. The, the, the fire had created a number of short circuits in the electrical system and we um, tested those and the doctor who did so found trace evidence of magnesium um, iron and aluminum that in the amounts that he could not account for on the aircraft and his explanation was that it's the, the trace evidence of an incendiary device. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the fact, components thereof. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. His very first report that he put out, he used the word sabotage in his report to describe the cause of the fire. This guy is a, a PhD. He had 20 years using the equipment. He had more knowledge in in geology and 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 chemicals and I mean my background is limited but it's nothing compared to his and he, some of the things that he told me that that he did as a student with with different chemicals and whatnot I I looked at him and said you got to be crazy but that's like it was like Play-Doh with him using different things. And and it, it was fantastic to sit and talk to him and, and listen to him. And he explained all of these, these chemicals and he said, you realize what you had on that plane? And I said, yeah, I think so, but you're going to tell me. And he said, you had sender device. All right. And um, this guy had... Like his qualifications were tremendous, and my bosses, when I told them, they poo-pooed the idea and said, "No, he doesn't know what he's talking about." Really? And the TB tried to shut down that testing. Boy, this does sound familiar, doesn't it? Now we're talking um, again. Uh, 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 a tremendous loss of life, uh, 215 passengers, 14 crew. Yeah. Uh, uh, 229 in all uh, souls that uh, perished on that day. And, and this is uh, three years before 9-11, a couple of years after uh, TWA 800. And we've heard this story before, haven't we? That report that I mentioned that had sabotage in it, it was received by the TSB at the end of November, uh, November, the last week of November, 2000. That was nine and a half months prior to 9-11. And nine and a half months 
what happened on on the 28th of November, I had a, a discussion with an FAA member, your your federal um, the, the Aeronautical uh, Administration in right. in the states, and she, I had known her. I'd worked with her on the file. She was was in the burn unit down in in Atlantic City. And we had a discussion about the aluminum, magnesium, and iron. Just a very short discussion. And what's happening with it? And I said, we still haven't solved where it's come from. And she was there for a meeting with the TSB, an overall meeting, invite only, that I wasn't allowed to attend. And she said, how come we haven't heard about this in the meeting? And my comment to her was, this isn't in the area of the TSB. It's not a safety thing. It's criminal. And she looked at me and she said, have you been told to keep quiet about this? And I just looked at her and she said, yeah, I, I thought so. And obviously she went off to talk to the head of the TSB and I think she was told there's nothing to this because two days later I was hauled into the office with the TSB and my bosses and severely reprimanded for speaking with her and disclosing that information. Same uh, same template. Say we've seen this happen before, um, where the information you have, I mean, you were throttled, you were gagged, and the investigation. It seems to me was compartmentalized, wasn't it? Very much so. I was two months later. I was hauled into another meeting, and my bosses, four of them, demanded that I change my notes. I I remove things from my notes. And I have the piece of paper that they gave me that said that I would remove stuff from my notes. I never did. My, my reason for, for signing it was to obtain the, the piece of paper. A copy of it is on my website. And I, I needed that piece of paper to prove that these guys were obstructing justice. That's a criminal code offense in Canada. Same as in the States. And it's, you go to jail for 14 years. This is a serious offense. And not a thing has been done about it. Even to this, even at this date. Uh, not, not a thing. In fact, I was told by the, by a very, very senior officer of the RCMP. I have it in, on paper. Um, and it's again on my website, and it would have come out of the commissioner's office, which would be equivalent to the head of your FBI, came out of his office that it was within the, the RCMP Act for the officer to tell me to change my notes. I searched the RCMP Act, and it is not there. But it looks good on paper, especially when it's given to the press. And, oh, yeah, it's okay. Not a problem. Well, it's a crime. It's a serious crime. And it, it's 
never been never been dealt with. And and I, and I have to tell you something, folks. Uh, here we have uh, retired RCMP Sergeant Tom Juby, effectively a whistleblower, getting the truth out there, but being gagged by those who don't want the truth to be known. And I and and this is where we're at. This is our guest. He's the author of Twice as Far. This was Air 111 crash investigation. And I would urge everyone, if you've, uh, it, it's, it's an engaging investigative book account of the investigation. Um, and he does a remarkable job in uh, explaining, explaining the details behind that and the backstory behind that. Now, as we approach the bottom of the hour network break, which we do have to take this, this hour, uh, again, our guest is Tom Juby, retired RCMP. And uh, his book, Twice as Far, The Swiss Air 111 Crash Investigation. Some similarities, by the way, between Swiss Air 111 and 911 as we discuss this with uh, Sergeant Tom Juby. Uh, so, so, Tom, we're, we're going to be taking about a three-minute bottom there break here. And on the other side, um, if we can discuss the findings of what happened after you know, subsequent to all of this, uh, the, the throttling of this, as we approach that fateful day 16 years yeah. ago. Yeah. You know, one thing I find really interesting about this is um, the voice recorder box, as well as the, the cockpit flight recorder, were both went off uh, six minutes before the crash, and, and the cockpit recorder went off just a, a few seconds, close to a minute maybe, after uh the regular voice recorder. I think, I think Tom might have some. Uh, I want to, yeah, I want to ask about that because what some. we're told is the um, reason for the the crash was a fire, and and you know, did the fire? Was there evidence that the fire burned out those systems that would make them stop recording? I think maybe we can pick up there on the other side. But folks, if you're like me, I'm 34 years old. I I don't I did not hear about this, or or I have not. Uh, familiarize myself with this investigation it's kind of to me and when i read it earlier today uh, the swiss air 111 crash it was kind of obscure i wonder how many other listeners the, the, out there the, the background joe is uh, uh sergeant juby was on with us right was on with me um i think it was april or may and you go back and uh and, and listen to that interview what, what, an, what an incredible interview that was it, it blew my hair back it really did well when we come back we're going to talk with um uh, uh, Tom Juby, again, author of Twice as Far, the Swiss Air 111 crash investigation, about a number of things that not only uh, relate to the investigation, but elements that tie the Swiss Air 111 crash in 9-11 together. Folks, we'll be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. 
folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com. Masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High quality items, made in America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Erickson. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow. It's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Train Close in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to AP major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journeys kit at www.changelosswoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Retired RCMP Sergeant Tom Juby. He was the chief forensic investigator of Swiss Air Flight 111. By the way, that happened in 1998, a couple of years after um, after uh, TWA 800, a number of years after Lockerbie, uh, a couple of years uh, before uh, after uh, the first World Trade Center bombing. And the reason I bring these up. And, and three years before uh, 9-11. And the reason I bring all of these up is because people need to understand the RCMP is an extremely powerful organization. They're equivalent to, for example, the uh, combination of the FBI, CIA, and um, well, suffice it to say those two groups are the, the, uh, the bevy of intelligence agencies here in the United States. So we have with us a man who was part of 
an integral part of the RCMP, a very important member of the RCMP in terms of forensics. And it's important for people to understand as well that there was no investigation according to um, evidentiary procedure in a court of law uh, on two of those events, at least two of those events that I mentioned. And it's also important for people to understand that RCMP had a presence at the World Trade Center uh bombing with uh with the FBI as well. So uh it's in 93 that is. So uh, we're going to be getting into that in a little bit and well much more with our guest Tom Juby the author of um the author of uh, Twice as Far the Swiss Air 111 crash investigation which I really recommend and if you're watching this on YouTube you can see it on the on the screen right there. It was published earlier this year, and it's a, it really is a fantastic book uh, written by an investigator with impeccable credentials. Before we get back to Mr. Juby, I want to mention one thing. I'm going to kick it to Joe then. One thing I want to mention is, uh, folks, if you have not done so already, go to HagmanReport.com. Uh, author Peter Barry Chauka has written a number of extremely important articles that you need to read. Uh, extremely critical. I'll be talking about the articles tomorrow uh, in my radio program in the morning. Extremely important. Um, and he sent me an email earlier. I, I because I'm, I, I owe him a phone call. I got to tell you um, what a patient man he is. But uh, the the information that he's provided you, the readers uh, of our platform, is. Just second to none, and I thank him for that. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, just real quick, I want to bring you a quick word from one of our sponsors, Greenovative. Folks, uh, just want to give a shout-out to Alan Riggs, the owner of Greenovative, as he is going back to uh, his his estate in Florida where his house and business are. And he texted me today, said he was heading back there, that his, his roof was missing on his business, but he was not there so uh, he is heading back to try to get that all fixed. Just want to bring you a quick word from his company, Greenovative. Um, they've been with us for a year this month, and many in the Hagman audience have enjoyed Greenovative products and uh, asked for Alan to make modifications and give more power. Folks, this will deliver power to you anytime, anywhere, day or night, and uh, you have a 12% discount on uh, their complete packages and you will be glad that you went with Greenovative. They recharge batteries with a number of uh, of different packages that you can buy, and the different size packages only uh, differentiates on how many batteries you can recharge and how quickly you want to recharge them. There's really no end uh, to if you, you want to recharge a 100,000 batteries. There's packages that Alan Riggs has together that you can do this. So, folks, when you need this, you'll be glad you did. Greenovative.com is the website. Give Alan Riggs a call. Send him an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. And uh, he's our go-to for all your rechargeable battery power. Thanks for your patience, Sergeant Tom Juby. Uh, let's let's continue with, with with what you were saying before. This is this information uh, when you can start connecting the dots, as you have, is just absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, you had mentioned before the break about the microphone and the the data recorder, yes, and, and, and whatnot. Uh, the fire was so extensive that. What happened was it, it it burnt off the power supply to those systems, and the the batteries on them uh, wasn't sufficient to maintain them. Uh, plus, the the fire was so extensive that 
most of the wiring between the cockpit and the after the plane, um, anything that went overhead was was destroyed. So there was a total breakdown in the system, and that's why it uh, it went dead six minutes before the actual crash. Okay. The exact time of the crash was determined through seismic recordings because it it was it registered on on several local uh, seismic systems. How is that possible? I mean, it hit the water, right? Water is like cement when you when oh. you come into it, um, and he would have come into it at uh, about 350 miles an hour. Okay, and yeah. As one in my younger days, for forgetting to let go of the rope when you fall off of uh, water skis, I can attest to the fact that it's pretty hard when you hit it. Um, yeah. Okay. That's, that's only a few miles per hour compared to the plane. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. All right. Uh, all right. So your your investigation, and again, this this was kind of like a, a, a comparable to an insurance kind of investigation as opposed to a criminal investigation, Swiss Air 111, and, and you found trace trace evidence. You um, in your investigation found or trace evidence of explosive material components thereof was found, not not reported or not not made it read into the official report. Um, that's fair to say, correct? Yeah, it was totally covered up in the in the uh, TSB's report. Uh, they they didn't the the system that was used, the scientific system that was used, were they argued that it was unreliable, and they never mentioned magnesium and uh, and uh, the aluminum iron combination. They used the term incendiary device only to say that none had been found. Okay. And, and you know, by its very nature, an incendiary device burns up. That's what. That's his whole purpose. And and I, I asked them, what did they expect to find? Something with a sign on it that says, "I am an incendiary device," because that's what it would have taken. Uh, oh, okay. So, so how did it get there? Who put it there? And I realize that some of this might would call for perhaps some speculation, but in in the in the pre nine eleven days, but post Lockerbie, post TWA eight hundred, although that's whatever. Um, what's what's your gut? What's the evidence telling you? I mean, uh, with well, respect the evidence, to the evidence is that. Within uh, the first week of the investigation, uh, it's standard for the the all of the employees who had worked on the aircraft to be interviewed, to see who they are, what they did on the plane, what have you. And when the fellows went down to New York to interview those people, one person could not be found. He had worked the one shift. Uh, serviced the interior cabin area of the MD-11, Swiss Air MD-11, Flight 111, and was never seen again. When they checked his identification, it was false. It, it was all bogus. And they do not know to this day who that individual was or where he went, where he came from, 
or what his affiliation was. Yeah, that's uh, that's right out of a TV show, what you just described. So here you have a, a man coming up on the uh, to examine this the, this crash and no the, the 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 one that worked on the the oh the, okay the, the I'm mechanic. sorry uh, so, so, so uh, even are worse we, even worse are we looking am I right or he's yeah he, you've got a guy that gets onto the plane um, coveralls with whatever um, fl- shoulder flashes or you know whatever. Uh, United, uh, Swiss Air, or whoever, they're not difficult to come by. So he comes on the plane wearing one of those, and he does his tinkering overhead in the in the area where the burn occurred. And uh, this was witnessed, because I remember the, the earlier, and folks, go back to the, uh, uh, we'll put a link to the previous interview. But, okay, so is this a, a, a terrorist, or is this a uh, uh, I mean, well, who would do this? I guess is my question, and and have the ability to. Well, happened. What happened when when we learned of the the trace evidence and the incendiary device at about that time? Uh, one of the other investigators was he he had been tasked with with the idea that supposing there's a criminal involvement to this file, who could have done it, and he was in touch with the FBI and various other agencies and this unknown agent or an un- unknown group called Al-Qaeda uh, they surfaced and Osama bin Laden now at that time nobody knew who they were except a few people in the US um, we didn't know in the hangar until Carl dug this stuff out and explained it all to us and it turns out that uh, uh, the FBI in the US had been working the Al Qaeda connection to Yusuf Ramsey or Ramsey Yusuf uh, he was the World Trade Center one bomber uh, uh, the, the first correct. bomber correct Right, and he's the guy that had the van that blew up beside the the main column, and uh, he was able to escape. And it turns out that he fled to Manila uh, in the Philippines and actually got onto a plane and left a, a bomb on board that ended up killing one of the passengers when it ultimately went off um, he left it on board got off at the next stop and somebody else grabbed his seat and he died now Yusuf had plans to take down a dozen 747 airliners as they flew across the Pacific that would have killed 4,000 people in the neighborhood of that many Project uh, uh, Bojinka I believe it was correct yeah, and he also had plans to assassinate the Pope. Okay. And All right. luck, luckily for all of us, and unlucky for him, his bomb-making efforts fizzled out. He had an explosion in his lab, had to run out, and when uh, 
the authorities arrived, uh, he fled, fled off to Pakistan and was ultimately arrested by U.S. authorities over there in the embassy when he was was pointed out by an informant. And yep. is, is presently doing time in jail down in your country. Okay. Which right, right. He belongs. Yeah. Now, um, he had Al-Qaeda connections, and your FBI, at the time of our guys going down in 1999, had more than 100 agents in the World Trade Center covering that file and and investigating Al-Qaeda. And th- th- this is where John O'Neill comes in. And people... That's- all right, yep. Pe- people might, and listeners, you might know, remember that name, John O'Neill, uh, first day uh, as head of security of the World Trade Center, um, perished in the attacks. Now, um, uh, uh, Sergeant, uh, I, I, I personally believe, looking at the uh, first, the documentation from the, from the first World Trade Center attack or a bombing, I should say, that killed what thirteen people, I believe. Looking at that and looking at the FBI's, and you'll have to forgive me, well, people will have to forgive me if this is seems insulting to anyone, but when you look at the FBI's involvement in that, um, that surveillance, that active participation surveillance of the uh, first bombing of the World Trade Center, how that was handled, I've got, I've got, I've got a whole bunch of questions for those FBI agents that were taking orders from the top, I should say. And so I've got a whole lot of questions for, for the top. But having said all of that, that aside, let's talk about, uh, uh, the meeting, your, your guys down at the World Trade Center, where you were going before I interrupted. Yeah, about five members, RCMP members went down to meet with, with, actually the, the intent was for them to meet with the investigators for the Flight 800. Investigation. They were, those guys were putting together the aircraft and, and investigating it. And, and our people wanted to meet with them to see what similarities there were. Somehow things got rearranged by, um, the inspector and they met with O'Neill and his crew in, or some of his crew in the World Trade Center. Um, there was intent to give a uh, description of the plane, description of the trace evidence that was found, uh, of the incendiary device, the methods and what have you. And it turns out of all of the, well, of the members who, who attended, I should have been the guy giving that information because it was I was the only RCMP member with that knowledge. When I asked why I wasn't going, I was told because I had traveled too much. I'd been to Zurich twice, I'd been to Ottawa a couple of times, I'd been to Seattle, and I had spent too much time traveling. That seems like a lame excuse to me, but... uh, yeah, you could have, you could have cashed in your frequent flyer miles. I'm I'm joking, of course, but but yeah, yeah what, what a lame excuse that is. That was a very lame excuse, especially when you see the results of the meeting. Uh, number one, 
um, I was told uh, this this member who had arranged the meeting, his name was Carl, and he told me that when they arrived in New York at the World Trade Center for the meeting, uh, Latham and O'Neill had a pre-meeting for about half an hour where they together uh, met alone and discussed various things. What was discussed only today, today only Latham knows because O'Neill perished. And both Carl and I suspected that the whole idea of Al-Qaeda and the incendiary device was played down. Uh, O'Neill was probably told that uh, we don't have that much and really it's speculation and and there, there was a concerted effort to keep the whole thing low-key. And when you read the final report that came out of that, the one of the contributing factors for the major fire on board of the aircraft was dust balls. Dust balls. Dust, dust balls. The, 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 the uh, ugly stepsister to dust bunnies. Dust bunnies. Right. All right. Yeah. And, you know, I... I didn't see any on the 15 planes that I examined, but, you know, there must have been a whole pile of them on Swiss Air 111. Uh, there, there wasn't. That, that, that's just, that was, that was smoke and mirrors. Um, and, Tom, it's like what the Navy did man. today with the Government Accountability Office releasing some of their preliminary findings on the latest two U.S. naval Crashes, saying that they had basically expired. Um, their they did not they were not up to date on all their training missions. I think the USS John McCain had six out of ten uh, lapsed certifications, and they, they tried to blame this on as part of the reasons why we had these two naval accidents, which really they don't tie in together. Just like as you said, uh, you know, blaming dust bunnies. I, I want to ask you this: the you said this this was uh, undertaken as a safety, a check for any safety violations and not a criminal investigation. Was any criminal investigation ever done by any agency into this? No. Oh, uh, I, I correct that because a partial one was conducted in Switzerland. One of the uh, victim's families lodged a complaint with the Swiss, and I believe it was the Swiss Federal Police. And they, there was a news report over here, and it was commented commented on by our um, uh, media relations person uh, that the RCMP would cooperate fully with the Swiss police in any investigation that they wanted to conduct. At the very, very same time, I was in the hangar listening to the TSB members laugh at that whole concept. We don't cooperate with anybody, and we certainly aren't going to cooperate with a criminal investigation in Switzerland. And on the Internet, you will find a speech, and it's it's in my website. You will find a speech given by the head of the TSB, 
in which he basically states that they will not cooperate with a police investigation in any way. Well, um, Tom, tell listeners and viewers your website, just just so people have that. It's in our program description. It's www.twiceasfar.ca or swissair111.ca. And it's not the .com, it's .ca. I'm Canadian, and I can use the .ca because it's a Canadian site. There you go. And pr- proud, uh, I know, I know a number of Canadian uh, authorities, shall we say, or people involved in uh, CSIS and other agencies up there. So um, I think a lot of the training that, that you folks go through is is really high class. Now, all right, so we connecting the dots. Here we are, 16 years post 9-11. Where do we stand if we pull the lens of time and, and events backwards and they're back a little bit so we can expose the landscape? Where are we at today with whether it be from, well, from Lockerbie to the present day? What's going on? Well, I guess probably you, you have to look at it and and wonder. You've got a number of plane crashes in the last what twenty five thirty years, who uh, that were caused pos- either were proven to be terrorists or are thought to be terrorists, and and considerable amount of proof that they were caused by a terrorist incident. And then 9-11 occurred, and you guys, along with other countries, Britain and our guys, went into Afghanistan and found Osama bin Laden eventually. We haven't had a crash of a major intensity since. Now, Either the aircraft technicians and the aircraft companies have drastically improved their methods and techniques, or we've killed the source of the crashes or the cause of the crashes. And I tend to think it's the latter. Yeah, okay. I, would, I would agree. I mean, um, just, would you? Would you? Okay. That, that well, we, I, I'm saying that we. This, to me, this is the only time in my knowledge that we've seen a plane go down due to uh, whatever they you know, a, through a fire through wiring. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- we'll think of TWA 800 though. What they attribute that to, and I know it's different. Yeah. Well, that's the one where they they showed that there's no such thing as gravity. Exactly. Exactly. They produced a, a video in which. The plane blew apart, but the nose of the aircraft still climbed what two thousand feet. Oh yeah, it, it, it was a it was a tremendous cartoon. Uh, compliments of the CIA, I believe it was the CIA to come up with with an explanation with you know <clears throat> right yeah. So, so are, are, and but but I'm not so sure. I would conclude well when you say okay, it's the latter. Um, let's expand on that, just if you can, uh, or if you don't mind, just, bre- well, I guess we're up against the network break here. Um, we got about a minute. 
We've got about a minute. So you're you're saying that that say that again. The causes have been. Well, I, I personally, I think Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda were responsible for a great number of incidents. Okay. That and 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 I read a book some time ago by uh, an American author. He had been a, a key government. Uh, um, head of an agency under Reagan, I believe it was, and his comment was that one day the terrorists will commit an offense that no one will be able to say was an accident. Uh, and okay. he was referring to 800 and, and several other air crashes that had occurred, including Swiss Air, in which it was coming out that they were accidents. No. They were. Okay. And on the other side, I want to ask you, uh, perhaps a troubling question, but I want to ask you a little bit about complicity. There's, a, there seems to me an element of complicity here with some of these, not, not all of these, with some of these incidents. Uh, when I say complicity, I'm talking about perhaps a runaway investigation. That uh, gets covered up in the in the end. Uh, our guest is retired RCMP Sergeant Tom Juby. His book, uh, Twice as Far: The Swiss Air 111 Crash Investigation, which I've read and it's a great great investigative book. Gonna be right back. Network break. Three minutes. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to its creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. last hour we are joined by tom juby he is the author of a book the swiss air 111 crash investigation twice as far the swiss air 111 crash investigation he's, he's a 32 years as a member of the royal canadian mountie police retiring as a sergeant in charge of the forensic identification section in halifax uh, nova scotia and um Mr. Juby, I was just I, I in this investigation. I'm still learning some of the facts, and I just pulled was able to pull up some of the transcript or what they at least said was the the transcript. I, I see there was a lengthy court battle in trying to get both sides. Uh, you have the air traffic controller side release and and um, what the pilot said, but you don't have. Uh, there was some privacy issues in releasing. The the, the government went to court, and, and the uh, airliners went to court to protect the flight recorder data and what was on there and, and the uh, the voice recorder but some of that has made its way out at least on the air traffic control side and that's pretty interesting and as John said during the break there's no statute of limitations on on homicide or on uh, terror on terrorism do you ever see this being revisited well um, your own president President Trump has uh, during his campaign he wanted to revisit uh, 9/11. There never was an actual criminal investigation of 9/11. It was a, a safety audit of the buildings and of the aircraft. And as for an actual criminal investigation, my understanding, according to what he said, is that it was never done. And here we have the parallel with 111. Uh, no criminal investigation was ever done. Uh, there's there's a preponderance of evidence. Um, two PhDs from from the U.S., uh, one in the FAA and one in a university in in I think it's South Carolina, um, both said that there was insufficient material on that plane to cause the damage that was done. So we have evidence of a of an incendiary device. Well, what's wrong with reopening and going at the whole thing? Uh, it's up to 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 your president has already said that that it should be done. Um, unfortunately, in this country, uh, they don't want to reopen it. Uh, there's too much politics up here, and it's the same party 
the Liberal Party that's in power now uh, that was in power at the time of the crash. And I, I truly believe that there was political influence up here. Interesting. Wow. Okay. No. It came, Go ahead. It came, it came from the commissioner's office to within the RCMP. It came right out of the commissioner's office, uh, that the investigation would be handled by the FBI if there was one. And basically, it was, there's no money to conduct an investigation. Well, again, 229 people are murdered and you got no money? Really? Yeah. It, that's, that's absolutely uh, shameful. We have hurricanes up here because they wouldn't be able to afford to fix it. <laughs> good, good analogy. And just like in hurricanes, you get many volunteers who would come and help. And I imagine on an investigation, although uh, even internally you would probably get many volunteers, even if money was the issue. But but money's not right. the issue. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, one of my favorite television, I think my favorite television detective, and forgive me for even bringing this up, is Columbo. Um, and the reason I mention that is because he, we, he was playing too. Really? Okay. I mean, you gotta love the guy. So, uh, understated, so under, uh, you know, uh, unassuming yet, uh, uh, very to the point. He, he said, and I remember one of the episodes and it always stuck with me. You know, my wife says sometimes a light goes off up here and I just can't shut it off. And, and, and th- th- this kind of, um, and, and he's another one that didn't, of course doesn't like coincidences and I don't think any law enforcement officer likes or is comfortable with coincidences um, but we're see, we, we see this run up to 9-11 and even subsequent to 9-11 of 01 the attack on America 16 years ago today um, that we're just full of coincidences you've got the, the Islamic component you've got the incendiary devices you've got security being bypassed you've got people that, that not being listened to. Uh, investigations are compartmentalized. And then you've got this political whitewash. Um, am I wrong in any of this? or No, it's, it, you're 100% on. Okay. To, to what extent, and before the break, I, I was, to what extent do you think there's a level of complicity, perhaps at the upper levels of the political machinery, uh, that's hiding the, the the truth on this. I mean, on, on these on these multiple incidents. I I don't know where it comes from. I I I don't know whether they're. It's a, a case of that that somebody realizes that it was so big, so so potentially big, that they had to. To wait until something humongous occurred, so that they they could could go after it in force. I, I don't know. Um, you you whack at the at the thing piecemeal, or do you wait and until something big happens? Um, I mean, look at look at the lead up to World War Two. True. Uh, with your 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 country, you were losing vessels off the the Atlantic coast to the German submarines, uh, left, right, and center. 
and it wasn't until Pearl Harbor. And this, when this occurred, when 9-11 occurred, my comment to, to the, the guys that I was with was, this is another Pearl Harbor. And, and I was, I was down at, in Atlantic City doing testing with, with the guys and there were a number of Americans in the room and when I said that, they all looked at me and, what are you talking about? And I realized maybe I should keep quiet because, uh, I, as soon as the guy told me there was a second plane, I said, Al Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, we're at war. Guys, this is it. And, uh. Just as John O'Neill had, uh, had, uh, himself had said on that day. And, and just as others, you know, had, had, had said. And, and I think that even, even among those who, who, and, and I, look, we have not been told the, the truth about 9-11 at all. But I, I don't think, I don't think one can deny the, uh, the involvement of the, um, the uh, Islamic conspirators in this. It's just to what extent. But, but, but I think that's why your president wants to reopen it. See just what, what other involvement is there. Right, exactly. And, and, uh, yeah, and, and we need that. Go ahead. And is there, is there an involvement with, with Swiss Air? Is there an involvement with 800, Flight 800? You've got 400 people who said they saw a rocket go up to that aircraft. Yes. One was a Vietnam pilot, a, a Navy pilot from Vietnam who was in a commercial plane 10 miles behind. You know, we, we've had Jack Cashel talking about Flight 800 on, on, in studio here. And, um, I, I, I'm just amazed at the similarities that, that, that we have seen that you've, that you've brought into the table. And I, I really think one of these, one of these sessions, boy, if we could have, have you experts, uh, you know, investigative journalist Jack Cashel, uh, that, that, that did the interviews with those witnesses and you and others, it would just be a dynamic uh, exchange of, of information. Uh, let me ask you, I, I've got this written down here, to the extent you want to talk about this or to the extent that this is relevant, the Privy Council. D- d- um, I'm not sure if that was John's writing or, or if, if you had put that in there. You want, you want to discuss this or... Yeah, in Canada, the the Privy Council is a group of high-placed individuals, uh, business people, politicians, um, what have you, who uh, are appointed to the Privy Council, and they advise the Prime Minister's office on various things. Now, at one point during the investigation uh, after we had found the the trace evidence of the incendiary device and after I'd been told that we were not conducting a criminal investigation I had been told that for the umpteenth time I'd been in meeting after meeting in which I was told that I had to stop my criminal investigation because there was not one all of a sudden a guy shows up in the hangar and is 
becomes quite chummy with me um, and says that he's from he is an RCMP inspector from Ottawa attached to the to the Privy Council. He he had he advises the Privy Council on certain things. And I'm sitting there wondering, why are you here? Well, he says it's for best practices. But he's got a lot of questions about my criminal investigation. And all the while I'm wondering just what's going on here? Why why are you asking these questions? You're you're an outsider and even though you're in the force, you're not part of the investigation. When he left, uh, you know, within a month, the crackdown on me started. That's when I started getting major flack. So you believe my- you believe he was placed there in order to um, learn what you were saying where you were coming from, where you wanted to go with this, yeah. and to go report back. He, he, I've got two brothers in the, that had been in the force, and he came across saying that he knew my older brother had worked with him, and he was chummy chummy and and whatnot, and and come on, let's go to lunch and and whatnot, and so he's sounding me out, and then. A couple of weeks later, I'm talking to my brother, and who's that guy? He he doesn't know him. And then the meetings start, in which I am am really told to to back off, and they demand a copy of my notes, um, and and then ultimately comes the you will change your notes. Okay. They have that power? I mean, you will change your notes. Uh, That's illegal. Yeah, of course. They don't. They don't have that power. But what is strange is they thought they did. <laughs> okay. And that that to me, it's it's not just that they thought they did. They thought they were protected in demanding that I do it. It's as if they had immunity. So. And they have had immunity so far. Man, okay. Yeah, I, and it's it's. I, I've I have submitted stuff to the RCMP and to politicians up here uh, for years, and everything that comes back is no. Those guys were correct in doing what they did, or it's in the RCMP Act that they can do it. Or we're not going to reopen this because the TSB found the cause of the fire. Right, and and that's our story, and we're sticking to it. So stick yes. it in your ear. Yes, sir. That's right. Never mind the truth. Never mind the truth. Full speed ahead. All right. Uh, we've we've only got about uh, oh I don't know just about uh, five minutes before we've got to cut you loose. Um, your closing thoughts again on this 16th year after the worst attacks uh, on American mainland ever um, your thoughts 16 years after the fact 
where are, are we going to see? I mean, where are we now? Are we any better off? Are we worse? Uh, what do you see in the future? What do you see? Well, do you have the floor? Well, in in Canada, the I I I see what's occurring with the RCMP and and things up here, and it's 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 not a a wonderful thing. I I don't have great hope for the future. I, I look at what's happening in the states, in your country, with with some of the things that are going on. The, the bickering and, and going on between different agencies and the, what appears to be the stabbing in the back of, of certainly very prominent individuals. Um, what's going on? Why, why, why is there such an undermining of the judicial authority and, and what is justice? In this country, it's, you know, it, we're, we'd rather do a safety investigation than a criminal investigation. Um, we, we'd sooner go to the expense of, of building a, a, a tank to be able to drive down the road safely, knowing full well that if we all drove tanks down the road, somebody would still be killed in accidents. Because tanks run into one another and kill people, uh, and, and you know that's kind of a poor example. But why not go after the criminal aspect of of these major organizations that are doing these things to us? Are, are we that powerless? I, I, I mean, when I say we, I'm, I'm including Canada in this as well as the United States. Are, are we that? Have we been that infiltrated? Have we have we been that taken over by by the criminal elements of of even our own intelligence agencies or or members of our government? Have we have we have we already succumbed to that infestation of uh, seditious activity? Sure, it sure gives that impression. Uh, I tell you, it, it uh, and and I'm looking, I'm looking at it from a number of years of experience and I, I don't like what I see well, if, if, from your Canadian perspective what do you think President Donald Trump can do or more importantly will do with respect to the 9-11 investigation in particular given the fact that we're, we're looking at 16 years ago today can he? Will he push for well, reopening? I don't want to tell him what to do because I think he's quite capable of figuring it out himself. But if I receive a subpoena to appear in court to give evidence on Flight 111, mm -hmm. I certainly will appear. And by extension, yeah, we can. I, I think. I think people can. I, I think. I think that all of. Like Swiss Air was a lead up to I agree. 2011, and even 800 was a lead up. I think they were looking for for ways to bring down multiple planes. What Yusuf had, uh, Ramsey Yusuf had tried to do, and um, he had failed. And they were looking for a method. And uh, 
and certainly that that was every security hole, every uh, investigative uh, lapse was exploited, and uh, hence we we. If you don't dig into these from a criminal aspect, you you can't correct the faults. Right. Right. From a criminal aspect. That's right. The the only way they built banks that that are virtually uh, thief uh, proof. Uh, what am I looking for? That can't be robbed. Secure. It, yeah. Is secure is because so many bank robbers were were prosecuted and and their methods determined. Um, you know, you you find out how these guys do these things, and then you make the changes and exactly. correct the problems. Exactly. You don't do it by guesswork beforehand. Exactly. All right, we've got about thirty seconds left here before we have to we have to uh, break. Uh, your book, of course, twice as far the Swiss Air One Eleven crash investigation. Uh, give our listeners like one nugget that uh, you think that would really um, that that you'd like to. I mean, that would really uh, pique their interest because I, there's a lot of nuggets in there. Believe me, but give them one nugget from the book. I okay. I think that all of the passengers and crew on board the flight were dead before the actual crash uh, because it was such a major, major fire. All of the oxygen, or most of the oxygen, had been consumed, and there were so many plastics that had burnt, which produced cyanide. Yep, and that that was in the system. You know something? I would have gone there. I would have, I would have picked that too because that was one thing that, in in my mind, envisioning what happened, the series of events, and how you laid it out in the book. Everybody, everybody looked at the the investigation, the the morgue investigation, and said they went through such a terrible agony. I don't think they did. I think they fell asleep I, and I, they yep. died. Yep. That's typical in a fire, and especially in a confined area like uh, like an MD11, with the components that you described. And of course, you you know you've verified to, to be present, uh, causing that that hot um, high temperature of a fire and that immediate conflagration. So, Tom Juby, uh, I've got to tell you, it's been it's been a fast. Uh, three segments. It's been a, it's been an amazing three segments. I want to thank you so much for your time, and I want to thank you for your service too, uh, and for your integrity and honor in serving for uh, getting the truth out there. Thank you very very much. All right, sir. God may God bless you and keep you safe. And on, again, on this the 16th anniversary of 9/11. Special thanks to Brent Bolesky. Uh, for for getting that guest, Brent. Thank you so much. Great as always. And uh, Tom Juby's book, Twice as Far: The Swiss Air One 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 Crash Investigation. And show you know. And speaking with Tom off air, I just want to just say this. I mean, here is a man that the forensic aspect of this investigation. Just imagine the worst possible conditions. And police officers. And hi, Bob and Maggie, for listening. Uh, the police officers 
in the field when they secure a crime scene. Um, dealing with a crime scene, it's a headache. Let me tell you. Okay, I mean, it's it's. And this plane fell, according but, to reports, over two hundred mil- or two million pieces. The plane. Oh fell. yeah, but for that forensic, for him to be in charge of the forensic investigation. And to come to the conclusion, and to bring others in, and to coordinate all of that, and the findings. Uh, regard now again, we're talking about, uh, and people need to understand. Okay, people will say, okay, what does Swiss Air One Eleven have to do with Nine Eleven? And then you know, the minute, for example, and then I want to dispel this right away. The minute you bring in the Islamic component, well, you're not you. You're not really addressing the issue. It wasn't uh, the Muslims in caves that brought down the aircraft. Okay, don't... These issues are not mutually exclusive, all right? We have... Well, I shouldn't say we. The uh, globalists have weaponized Islam. They've exploited Islam. They've used uh, Muslims. That's That's not to give Muslims a pass at all. Because the predisposition there as soldiers of Allah for the greater good to take out America. Well, of course, you, it's, you wouldn't be using Protestants, okay, just by virtue of comparison. So, uh, don't, you know, don't be so close-minded to say, well, if you're talking about Muslims, then you must not be in, you, you must not believe there's a conspiracy. Of course there was a conspiracy. A mega conspiracy, before, during, and after. Um, so, and, and yes, there were dry runs. In fact, Saudi Arabia. That was, uh, I think, Town Hall published that today. Town Hall uh, uh, or uh, one of the articles. Uh, Saudi Arabia p- paid for and provided the assets for a dry run for nine eleven. Do you think that just because? Uh, uh, there was a greater conspiracy that Muslims weren't involved? Of course not. Now, did it happen the way that 9-11 Commission said it happened? Absolutely, in my view. No, of course not. But, again, they are not mutually exclusive. But when you bring professionals on, like uh, Tom Juby, from a forensic point of view, talking about Swiss Air Flight 111, and then you overlap that with the 9-11, uh, you know, situation and and even other incidents in between then you can see a pattern and from that pattern you can develop of course the and and, and really um, isolate the playbook the players and essentially the bottom line the magnitude of the conspiracy that's just my view and i think we've i think we've done a pretty good job of laying this out so far right i mean that's just my view yeah absolutely but, uh, all, right. all right and again folks we're up against our, our break um, on the 16th year anniversary to the day of, of 9-11. And again, it's hard to believe that's 16 years ago to the day. Um, still a lot of questions. We could do you know one show a week on 9-11 with a different guest every week and get back to this time next year and, and don't still have more anthrax. questions than answers. And the, the anthrax attacks, too. That, yeah, that the fall. dry runs. Uh, you know, James Woods yeah. was actually on one of the, the planes he reported. Uh, oh, the yeah. Payments of those dry run people by the Saudi government. There's so much. There's an article in Zero Hedge that gets into the government story about 9-11 being BS. That's actually the headline of the article on well, Zero Hedge, so right. check that out. Folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Don't go anywhere.
Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's. Uh, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Reporter family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Post in the Woods. We are an American family owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either, but they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armies kit at www.changepostandwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. of 9-11 marking the 16 years 16 years ago you know i let me ask a question in fact do we do we have a picture of 9-11 on there or no we have a picture mind. of a never the mind. peter chauka article from the that's fine that's website. fine okay but let me just say this um our our guest now josh kaplan uh you know when you're when you're in the spycraft world sometimes you just kind of go dark and, and you go dark for a while, and people say, hey, where did so-and-so go? Hmm. Is that the case with Josh Kaplan? Well, Josh Kaplan has got a number of articles above the fold at 
thegatewaypundit.com. Josh Kaplan's with us as our guest, and uh, it's been a while since since he was last with us, and he's done some amazing work at the Gateway Pundit. Want to welcome him back? Do we have him? Do we have him? No, we're trying to get him. All right. See these these guys like this? They go dark, and then you know it's. Uh, but seriously, he's got a uh, few articles up there. Yeah, he does. In the last he few does. Days. Well, you cover. Okay, so you covered this morning in or this afternoon in your show. Um, yeah, one of his one of his articles. You and John, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm looking for that article now. Okay. Um, but it talks about another man on 9/11 who um, gave his life to save a majority of the people uh, there. And I got to go through my history to get his name because this was a different um, story than I remember reading. And I have it here because I know John covered it on the Daily Show. So just give me a second. I'll well, that's right fine. Up. But in the meantime, one thing I want to mention, and I mentioned this on my morning show, was what. Now, the, the, folks, this is no small issue. Uh, it, it, well, relative to the events of 16 years ago, it is. But when the if Eric wanted to make us look worse than we really do look. He, he's got that ability. Notice I, I notice how I frame that. Okay, so it's interesting. In sixty minutes, we'll watch him press some buttons, and all of a sudden, my lips all look like I got lipstick. And anyway, when you look at the, and Josh Kaplan uh, wrote the article about photographer explains how CBS used a color adjustment to make Steve Bannon look bad on sixty minutes. This this is a tool of the um, media people that that and it was so evident by the the video okay <laughs> see like that there we go good job eric i actually uh i feel a little uh that looks more know. like they're a natural uh color <laughs> look at my lips right uh but but, yeah, but, but I, no you know seriously uh the power of the picture the power of the picture is is it must not be understated and I think Josh Kaplan did a great job of explaining that. But Josh has risen and uh, uh, to appear on the gatewaypundit.com. We're happy to have him. Now we got him. So here, and when here you say um, the color adjustments, an article that, that Josh just put out um, either today or yesterday, watch photographer explains how CBS uses yeah, color adjustments. To make, yeah. yeah. And I, okay, I was wondering about this. I saw a headline on Drudge. And I watched part of the clips, and um, there was something that looked off there. I couldn't tell what it was, but you can see how they made under the eyes a lot worse. They oh, made yeah, the, the color of the lips crazy. come out and definitely uh, did not do him a, any favors. No, no. And then you, you went to uh, Charlie Rose that, you know, looked like he just got got out of uh, a Vogue <laughs> or a, a GQ magazine. Josh, hey, welcome to the program, buddy. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for... Being had, <laughs> um, no, it's is so. What, what are you doing? What's what, what are you up to? Well, we've got, a, as you guys were talking about before, a, a interesting story up on the Drudge Report today uh, via the Gateway Pundit. Uh, I actually just got off the phone with Peter Duke, uh, the photographer out in California, uh, and he had issued uh, an additional statement, if you take a look at Gateway, uh, thegatewaypundit.com, where he responds to CBS's response in which they dismiss uh, the, evi the evidence that he lays out in his video. So I encourage everybody to go 
to the website uh, as they're listening to the program, uh, and they get to see what the latest is on this particular story. Okay, and we have it up here, and it's it's interesting because, yeah, you know, yeah, don't pay attention. We didn't do that. It was, it, it, you know, you're full of it, and then, okay, it's amazing. Um, but but yes, it's it's incredible what what they can do. Um, Josh, it's been a while. It's 16 years, of course, 16 years ago today. The world changed, America changed, uh, and certainly not for the better. I don't believe. Uh, where, what's the most important thing on your radar that, that perhaps that you would like to talk about? Do you want to talk about, uh, the 16 years since 9-11 or do you want to go elsewhere? Really, the choice is yours. You know, all, all I could, I could say on this subject is, you know, I'm fortunate enough to not uh, have anybody in my immediate family having been affected by this, but every day uh, on, you know, this day, uh, I'm reminded by a good friend of mine named Mike Weiss, whose father was a firefighter in uh, Rescue One. And of course, everybody knows that story unit uh, is responsible for saving uh, the first responders uh, in their respective unit and abroad. Uh, And he went into one of the towers and sadly he didn't make it uh, out that day. Mm. So I just want to give a special shout out to my friend Mike uh, on this subject. And uh, to parlay this into into another subject, uh, unfortunately, what's really worrying me right now is the recent speech by President Trump, okay. in which he seems to be uh, continuing the policies in Afghanistan uh, from his uh, two predecessors, uh, bringing in more troops, uh, an additional 3,500, at least of what we know of, uh, to Afghanistan to fight a broad range of objectives uh, in which his predecessors tried to undertake and succeed in. And we don't really see uh, an end to how President Trump would be able to actually successfully achieve uh, those objectives. So that's really what's on my mind uh, these days in terms of the region that's connected to this very important issue, because that was the pretext of the Afghanistan war was 9-11. So that's what's on my mind. All right, and and if I can ask this, and I'll, I'll turn it over to Joe, um, are, are we seeing President Donald Trump being enveloped by the very swamp that he wants to drain in terms of his uh, military uh, advisors, and even is he being influenced? And you've written, you've addressed this under your byline uh, with respect to some of the uh, policies by Kushner as well as those Kushner listens to. So what are we seeing? Well, I think Steve Bannon uh, on 60 Minutes last night gave us a purview uh, in which we all believed. I mean, uh, let's be honest here. I mean, Steve Steve Bannon revealed things that a lot of us, especially on your show and on other alternative media sources, have been talking about since Donald Trump ascended to the White House. Uh, And so Steve Bannon corroborated a lot of the things that you and so many have said that there have been uh, swamp elements that have engulfed the White House and are beginning to influence key aspects of President Trump's agenda. Uh, Even uh, Dr. Sebastian Gorka uh, seems to be corroborating this as well uh, soon after his departure not too long ago. Uh, So it's pretty clear that what we're seeing uh, is the swamp taking over the White House, and it really is a very sad situation. And I think guys like me and you and so many others, all we could really do now is fight for the policies in which were put forth uh, on Donald Trump's uh, campaign over the past uh, year and a half. 
So that's really what's on my mind in terms of the swamp engulfing large aspects of the White House from both just an organizational and then from a policy standpoint. So I think that's absolutely correct. Well, Josh, let's start with the Afghan war. As as you just mentioned, the uh, addition of 4,000 troops, some say it was to appease uh, what the generals were asking for. Uh, It was a complete reversal of what uh, the platform that he ran on and what he said he was going to do in Afghanistan. Is this, do you think, a game of give and take, or do you see this as more, uh, what others say, appeasing the generals or uh, something what he wants to do, or a little bit of both, or none of the above? Well, if you, if you follow the logic of Steve Bannon during his 60 Minutes interview, uh, he stated that the cardinal sin of the administration was very early on embracing the establishment. And the reason for that is, is that, quote-unquote, they needed to staff a government. So organizationally speaking, they required the manpower which already existed within the establishment to take over some core aspects of the government. So what we're seeing now from a policy standpoint are this is the same logic playing out. So President Trump needs to enact policy prescriptions from a foreign policy standpoint uh, to be able to get stuff done. He can't just uh, as a, I wouldn't say an isolationist, but as a non-interventionalist to a certain degree, step back and do nothing. So just like he had to embrace the establishment through uh, appointing key figures, he has to embrace establishmentarian policy prescriptions. Uh, so I think that's very much what you're seeing right now. And uh, it just goes to show you how wildly unpopular a libertarian non-interventionalist uh, thing is to not only do, but actually sell to the American people. To just sit back and say, we're not going to do anything in a region in which we've invested trillions, uh, uh, spilled blood and treasure. Uh, we haven't been able to perfect a message yet from, we'll say, a, a governmental standpoint in which we could sell that then to the American people. It plays well during the campaigns when you're addressing a subset of the population that you know is going to support you, and then you're going after some of the independents. But how do you unite the country and lawmakers around a policy uh, that is non-interventionalist? This is one of the great challenges, uh, I think, that he's facing. Okay. I'm almost to the point of, of believing that uh, in this case, the advisors and the people uh, uh, in in this case, the military industrial congressional complex, uh, saying hell with the people. Who cares about the people? Th- these are our objectives. Um, and and the same people, by the way, who I believe have the power to, as Steve Bannon during his sixty minute interview said. Um, it's the objective of the objective of the establishment Republicans, for example, to nullify the 2016 election still even today. So I think both of these kind of work in a symbiotic fashion that, uh, you play our, you play by our rules and, uh, um, you know, you, you do, you do this and that with respect to the military industrial congressional complex, or, uh, we will, you know, further the Mueller, uh, probe to, to basically, uh, you know, take you out in a sense. If that right. Sense. I mean, it, it it almost seems like uh, not a blackmail scenario, but at least some elements of that are in existence within this relationship. But also to the Republicans' credit in terms of, you know, putting the wool over uh, the Trump administration's eyes. I mean, you had those like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell telling uh, Trump administration that, hey, we've been repealing and replacing Obamacare. Uh, through bills and bills and bills, which we knew the president was going to sign for seven years. Don't worry. We've got this. The votes are absolutely there. And then when push came to shove, uh, they were down by many votes. And it was a shock 
to the Trump administration and specifically even to somebody like Steve Bannon, who uh, has the highest level of distrust for establishmentarians in Washington. So I think to a certain degree, uh, there was so much momentum uh, that the Republicans appear to have had to accomplish some of the things that President Trump wanted that I don't think under any circumstances any Republican would have been able to uh, not succumb uh, to such a strong selling point. So just to Donald Trump's uh, credit or to, you know, to give him a little bit of understanding here and some leeway, uh, the Republicans talked a big game for seven years and then brought that seven year talk to the administration said, we're going to do what we said we've been trying to do for seven years. And then they totally botched it. Mm. Okay. Now, um, we know that we have the 2018 midterm elections coming up. If if I know that health, also healthcare was on the very top of the list for the American voters on what they wanted to see changed, do you think we will if if say we uh, get to the time of the midterm elections without any more progress uh, made on healthcare in the ACA, do you think that that will have an effect in the elections? I don't think it's going to have an effect on the elections. Uh, Senator uh, Cassidy and Senator Lindsey Graham are both putting forward a bill in which would see a repeal of Obamacare. The White House has supported that since it's been uh, brought forth. I don't think that it's an actually serious proposition, and I think the American people uh, are focused on the key issue in which Donald Trump catapulted to the top of the heap when he first announced his candidacy, and that is build the wall. He must at least take concrete steps towards building that wall if he wants to see a strong a stable of anti-establishment GOP candidates ascend in the 2018 election, let alone at least keep some of the establishmentarians on the right from uh, losing to some of the Democrats. Now, the other key aspect I think that a lot of Americans care about is tax reform. Uh, so a lot of the uh, corporate elements that are driving the media narrative are depending very much like Main Street on these corporate tax cuts. So if the, the Trump administration fails to pass these by the end of the year, and remember, Tre- uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin stated that in August we were going to see a proposal brought forth. Obviously, we blew that deadline. So if we don't see concrete steps towards building that wall and uh, we don't see uh, tax reform pass, it's going to be very, very tough for the type of momentum in which I believe the Republicans should have to increase their lead uh, in the House to be able to do so. Uh, so that's really my uh, analysis of the uh, 2018 election. And, and I think I think a lot of people would agree with that. A lot of people that have been are well versed in the um, political. Uh, Morass that we've seen over the past couple of years, and, and seem we seem to be in right now. So I think it's, a, it's an incredibly uh, uh, prescient uh, analysis. The, the um, Democrats don't have the Democrats don't have a platform uh, that is recognizable to its own base, let alone independence. I mean, they do have this now faux populist, a better deal platform, but that's been completely washed out by the Russia investigation and identity politics, which, as we saw during Harvey and Irma, took a pretty good beating there as well, with the wonderful imagery coming out of there. So, I think that the GOP is still looking good for 2018, but if Trump doesn't pass something towards the wall and something towards uh, tax reform, I think it's going to be even more difficult uh, for them to make the strides that I think that they should. Josh, let me ask you this about the wall. Do you believe that our immigration laws and policy are more important than an actual wall? 
I think that they are because it's difficult for President Trump to come out and explain what the wall will actually look like. Uh, number one, because uh, the media, I don't think, has the tools in their toolbox to be able to explain it in a way in which the reader uh, will then take this in and believe that it's an actual policy win. Uh, so what the president's going to have to do in building this wall is he's going to have to have a multifaceted technological system in which will not only be physical barriers, but also include drones and sensors and more digital components to this actual wall, because you don't need a physical wall running the whole border, and General Kelly has been advising President Trump on this for quite some time. Uh, so I think that not only do we need to see a wall in which is all-encompassing in terms of the resources that it will be able to defend against illegal immigrants, but we also have to have strong backbone laws that have teeth to them as well. And if you uh, allow for amnesty uh, in the form of DACA to come into uh, existence, I mean, you could have a wall all you want, but they'll always find a way to get around that uh, wall, even if it may be increasingly difficult to do so. And you're incentivizing a generation of people to come into the country and think that they could one day become legal citizens uh, so if you don't have laws to defend uh, your wall, coupling that together, then I really don't think the wall is going to achieve all that it's supposed to. Amen. You're exactly right on that. And I, and I look at the DACA and DAPA, uh, these uh, this essential amnesty for criminals. I, I mean, in how this is being portrayed by the media, which is just an absolute joke, the, the you're average, cruel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're cruel. How right? dare you, you know? You uh, are so cruel. Yeah, it's all about the children. <laughs> never mind they're 26 years old, the average age or and above, but that's never mind. Yeah, so um, were, you, were you surprised that, uh, uh, I mean, well, why, why the period of time here? Um, is it a logistical issue matter with respect to the... Uh, uh, enforcement of illegal immigration as it applies to the deferred action uh, program? Well, I think uh, it may have actually been a smarter play than most people uh, most people realize. But, I mean, on the face of it, the low-hanging fruit argument uh, defending the president on this six-month extension is that Congress is so dysfunctional and discombobulated that they'll come up with absolutely nothing or something insufficient for President Trump to sign, in which will then uh, give President Trump the moral authority and, uh, quote-unquote, a mandate uh, to rule in a way in which his base will be most happy. Do I think that it's going to be a clean... Uh, break from DACA and all of these illegal immigrants are going to have to return home. No, I don't believe that's going to be the case, but I think it's going to be uh, a in-between policy prescription between a 100% uh, killing of DACA and then amnesty, which it looks like uh, everybody across the aisle uh, is looking to legislate uh, and bring into law. So um, that's really my, my perspective on this. And former Congressman uh, David Jolly out of Florida uh, says the same thing. Uh, Dick Morris believes the same thing. He wrote a blog post that we have on Gateway Pundit saying the same thing. So I think that is why uh, he went about it in this way. Okay. Um, Josh, if we can, uh, uh, real quick, you mentioned the Russia uh, investigation. That's kind of popped back up in the news, and you have an article on the Gateway Pundit about this. We've seen this kind of th- this die out, except for, you know, the, they're reaching into Kushner and Trump Jr., 
Um, going back to that meeting at Trump Tower where they say uh, he was going to collect opposition research, Trump Jr. Obviously, they have uh, nothing here. But you have an it's article. It's an investigation says, creep. Trump legal team warned Jared Kushner to step down over Russia investigation. I have not looked in the article yet. Is it? Um, is there something wrong with the legal team? Is what was Kushner's actions wrong, or is this just uh, what, what's going on here? Well, I mean, of course, the Wall Street Journal uh, article doesn't mention any sources. I mean, anybody that would go on the record to disparage Jared Kushner would be out of a job so fast, uh, you know. So really, at the end of the day, you've got um, Jared Kushner being attacked by an independent source in the White House. And having Steve Bannon uh, removed in Gorka and some of these anti-establishment elements, it's really interesting to see who has the palace intrigue. Uh, to have leaked this information. And that's that's the angle that nobody's really talking about. Who in the White House is leaking this information or fabricating this information uh, to get back at Jared Kushner? That's the, the caveat in the story that nobody's really talking about. And I um, think you what know, don't that, you? You know, don't you? <laughs> I, 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 I wish I knew. I'd write a follow-up piece, but uh, at the end of the day, as Jared stated uh, July 24th uh, in his uh, video message, there really isn't anything there but a nothing burger with this Russia investigation. And there's another story that we have on Gateway Pundit in which the forensicator, which is an IT analyst that went through um, all of the leaked emails that supposedly had been hacked by the Russians and broke down in numerous bullet points from uh, download speed, um, uh, to uh, access to the information from where that had derived from, stating that this was an inside job. So we have a claim on the Gateway Pundit uh, that those that had created this um, piece of evidence that was two months later corroborated by the nation and then put on the Drudge Report, um, stating that now uh, Attorney General um, Jeff Sessions and Special Counsel Robert Mueller, both of their offices now have that information, and it is up to them to take a look at it and decide whether or not it is a nothing burger or do they want to continue uh, one of the greatest political uh, witch hunts in American history. Joe, by the way, Joe loves that word, uh, that term, nothing, nothing burger. burger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, 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 you're, but you're right. Okay. And what I see taking place here is um, an incredible not just a conflict of interest that's an understatement I suspect but with respect to Mueller but but this this uh, uh, by any means necessary to take down Donald Trump uh, via the special counsel or independent counsel which is not certainly not independent as 8 of the 15 or 16 members are, are Clinton associates or supporters uh, more accurately I suppose uh, do you, where do you see this going? I mean the, at the end of the day. Well, the, the latest report uh, from the Washington Times yesterday states that Special Counsel Robert Mueller is, quote, obsessed with investigating President Trump's financial network uh, in the scope of money laundering with uh, corporate interests in Russia. So that there seems to be, we'll say, a siloing of this investigation towards money laundering Per Donald, uh, President Trump's financial network and those in Russia. Uh, that is also supported by subpoenas 
and information that the uh, that the special counsel's office have been trying to obtain from former Trump campaign uh, advisor, or I, sh- I should say manager, Paul Manafort. They're now zeroing in on his financial dealings. So this is where the investigation is going. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think what they're trying to understand is, were there elements within Russia uh, that are col- in collaboration with the Kremlin that have in some way, shape, or form laundered money to the Trump organization or associates of said information and that in some way could have been a payment uh, of support so that if Donald Trump is elected, there would be some sort of political payback to Russia and those associates working with the Kremlin. I think that is where Robert Mueller is trying to flesh out an argument, and I don't think he's going to be able to do so. Uh, And it's going to be very interesting to see when this investigation comes to a close, all of those in the mainstream media across the aisle uh, about the Democrats and Republicans uh, on Capitol Hill saying that Robert Mueller has a stand-up sterling reputation, as they did say of Comey, but really even more so of Mueller. It's going to be very interesting to see how many people uh, attempt to tarnish the reputation uh, of Mueller once, in my opinion, uh, he may very well um, exonerate President Trump other members of the Trump administration through any involvement of Russian interference. All right. Well, well, Josh, it's hard to believe that we're just about, well, we are out of time. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to Joe. You can be found, your articles can be found at thegatewaypundit.com and, of course, follow you on social networking, uh, Twitter, as well as Facebook, correct? That's it, Josh D. Kaplan. Right. That's my handle on Twitter. All right. Fantastic. And, and, uh, yeah, definitely follow Josh on Twitter, uh, Joe. Josh, yeah, we we, uh, we only got about a minute left. Just want to ask you this: We see the media uh, after Charlottesville, the the racism and the mental illness claims that try to make stick that obviously didn't stick. Then we've been in this period of natural disasters. Do you think? Do you see the media taking the next opportunity, whatever that incident is, to go after Trump and create a new narrative that he's racist, hateful, whatever it is? Uh, pick your crazy liberal topic, or are they going to die yes. down? No. Okay. They'll, they'll never they'll they'll never surrender. And I uh, don't believe you're right. <laughs> Double down, not die down. Josh Kaplan. Absolutely. My goodness, thank you so much for being part of our program tonight and uh, on this uh, very solemn day, 16 years after 9/11. And uh, thanks for all you do, exposing the truth wherever it might lead. We really appreciate you. Thank you. All right. God bless, brother. It was Josh Kaplan, Gateway Pundit, thegatewaypundit.com. Find his articles there. Joe, is he's an amazing writer. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, the pieces up on Gateway Pundit are, are really good. and uh, good, good good investigative journalist. I like him. Absolutely. And, folks, again, I mentioned this article earlier from Zero Hedge. It is, uh, we need to admit the government story about 9-11 is BS. Amen and it's authored by Mike Krieger via Liberty Blitzkrieg blog. And it opens up saying, unless we come to terms with 9-11 and the obvious fact that the official government story is a ridiculous fairy tale, it'll be hard for our nation to move forward in an intelligent, courageous, and ethical manner. End of story, period. I'll be back 9 o'clock a.m. on the Global Star Radio Network and BTR. Joe will be back at, Joe and John Robertson, will be back at 2, from 2 to 3, me at 9. See, I'm the early guy. They're the... uh the pickup team in the afternoon. 
and uh, Eric over there, he's uh, he's got his finger on the button, ready to go. But uh, and then of course we'll be back here for our regular show at seven seven to ten. I want to thank everyone listening. Thank you so much for your support. Thank Great you. Show. Yeah, and uh, say a prayer for our country, our nation, as we continue forward sixteen years after nine eleven, and. Uh, you know, just may God bless. But, but thank you for your support. And by the way, Peter Barry Chaka, uh, check his articles on the right hand side of our website. Good stuff there. Till tomorrow.